0: I'm just gonna hit you with this. What if we run it all the way back? Do I even wanna know what that means? We go reverse Viking. We pillage their village. Waystar acquires Gojo. There would have to be major issues. There are. What if we could slow this down and we eat Madsen's lunch? Bigger than dad ever was. Uh, Roman and Shiv? Yeah, I don't know part of my plans I love them but not in love with them you know mm-hmm. one head one crown <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits of Succession, Season 4, Episode 7, Tailgate Party. I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Kelsey, I want to start off by saying hello to all of our Alaska listeners. Okay. We're really big out there right now. I would say four or five, 6% of our downloads. <laughs> yeah, just each growing. Day. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. from our largest state.
1: That's the beauty of podcast democracy. You know, anything yeah. could happen. We could wake up tomorrow and have two Alaskas. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, this week proves that there are no bad episodes of Succession.
0: Yeah, I mean, this episode is really just people in rooms being awful to one another. Yeah, and it shouldn't favorite. work on paper, but it ends up being one of the best episodes this season.
1: Yeah, it's like the hospital episode in season one or the wake episode earlier yeah. on the season where they find the paper in Logan safe, you know, the crossed out or underlined question with Kendall's name.
0: It was underlined. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it was <laughs> crossed out. But the same thing here, people in rooms... But as we're getting closer to the end of the season or series, there are bombs going off in yes. every room. Because the relationships are really front and center in this episode. Yeah. And we're obviously going to get to like Tom and Shiv and, and everything in the last really 10 minutes. Uh, this is a phenomenal 10 minutes of succession. But it's, I do want to just shout out like that I love the kind of pre-concept of like pre-doing something that (laughs) Jesse Armstrong and the writers are playing with, like pre-tired, pre-grieving, because we are pre-tired for things all the time. (laughs) I felt really
0: seen. I guess we both felt really seen with the pre-tired. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I feel like on average, like I tend to be more pre-tired and like you pre-grieve things more. I, I feel like, but I, you know, I think it gives you like a A better situation to emotionally handle the situation when it when it comes.
0: Okay. I'm glad you put it that way. Cause I was going to say that almost made me sound like a sociopath. So (laughs) like (laughs) borderline sociopathic.
1: No, no. (laughs) no, I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, when I'm we're like, okay, how are we gonna deal with this situation? You're like, I already figured it out. I I already like processed the worst case. I look for the exits, (laughs) we're gonna
0: be good. Yeah, that's true.
1: Figured it out in my head. But okay, should we start talking about it?
0: Before we do, can I just say, before we get into all the kind of tragic moments of this episode, especially the Shiv and Tom of it all, obviously, I want to note this really quickly because I don't want to forget it later. The lack of Mondale
1: oh, okay. in this episode <laughs> yeah. was
0: insane. The, the fact that these two, Shiv and Tom, were arguing with one another about how their relationship is broken for 10 straight minutes the lack of Mondale in that conversation. No one's was
1: who's getting the dog. Yeah.
0: Insane. It's insane behavior from those two. Like I was thinking, where's Mondale? Is he locked up in a closet? Is he never coming back? Where, where is he in all of this? I
1: have to assume that he has a dog walker slash like dog sitter that that's is true. just being paid so much money.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's actually sad because I'm now thinking that the dog walker gets paid more than we do.
1: Oh, I feel like for sure. That Mondale's, is sad. Okay. Yeah. An all-time great scene with Tom and Shiv coming up. Hall of Fame scenes, honestly, all around at the end of this episode. Let's get into it.
0: Let's do it. I'm going to... What? Yeah, I'm done. I'm going to bed. I'm bushwhacked. My eyes are sandpaper. Stay for 45 minutes more. I'm just a little tired because all the fun gossip that I've been hearing from everywhere at this party in my house is that I'm going to be shit-canned. So, yeah, I think they're in a, a quite a curious place, which is they both know exactly what happened, but while she won't talk about it, she has this kind of leverage. Sarah and I were talking and we sort of worked out that they hadn't ever really screamed and shouted at each other in that way. It's always been, the lid has always gone on quite quickly in their arguments.
1: It's great to explore a different dynamic with, with uh, two characters. Okay, so episode seven, let's get into the protein. Let's do it. I, before we actually even start, we had some actual protein <laughs> at the tailgate party. <laughs> And we had the sliders with toothpicks and American flags. Yeah. We had, well, French fries isn't protein, but we had pigs in a blanket. It was good though. And I love this like boar on the floor imagery coming back. Like
0: Tom and Greg
1: were next to that roasting pig at the Gojo retreat.
0: Yeah. I'll have a lot to say about the food later on. We're vegetarians. So we have nothing really to say about the the actual meat of this, these images, but the French fries looked amazing. They did look great. Yeah, but yeah. Some- I was
1: wondering what sauce they dipped the pigs in a blanket into, but yeah, interesting. we'll get there. Okay. Anyway, it's the night before the presidential election in the United States of America. And it's a tailgate party. Yep. Tom and Shiv are hosting it theirs. And Tom is pre-tired, like we mentioned before, <laughs> thinking about how tired he'll be when he's running the toxic news cycle yeah. for the election day tomorrow. And the night does not and well for Tom and Shiv, you know, and, and just never fight with your partner while you're tired, everyone.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. <laughs> if it's like 10 p.m. and you're feeling a little just bit go spicy, to bed. go to bed. Just go to bed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so Connor's running the funeral management committee at this like breakfast where no one eats those amazing-looking pastries on the table. Yeah. And we see that Logan's funeral is coming up. I think that's really just what that scene was for to show us there's a reminder to show us maybe who's speaking, which is very interesting as we get into the end of the episode with Roman. Mm-hmm. But I am I think I am most excited for the
0: funeral episode. Is that because of Connor running it?
1: Well, it, actually, maybe that's why I love the Recney Ball uh, yeah. episode in season one where he's yelling about the cold butter, like ripping people's rolls and yeah. stuff. Yeah. He, and he's not really even the person running it, but... Well, that he, was like one of my favorite con uh, episodes. Well,
0: he was convinced he was running it so much so that he <laughs> fires the whole back crew, back house crew. Now I'm thinking, is he going to fire the funeral crew? Yeah, he's <laughs> like,
1: hey, you guys, we did it. Yeah. Uh, that would be amazing. But I, I think that might be like the last episode.
0: I have. It's in my predictions. I'm okay, gonna, okay, we'll wait for it. it then. Yeah. So
1: anyway, other Connor news, he's still in the presidential race, despite Roman trying to convince him. Otherwise, yeah. on behalf of the Mankin campaign, and Roman and Ken are kind of like splitting the room, but they are deciding to go regulatory, right? Trying mm-hmm. to cozy up to these forty most influential people in the U.S. to try to make sure this Gojo deal doesn't go through, or at least is like kicked down the line. Yeah, and Shiv, you know, is playing both sides. She tells Matson he needs to be at this party, like regardless of his feelings. That what he calls it—that uh, it's a get-together of brain dead. AOL era legacy media bullshit and that's putting it kindly. I
0: really laughed at the AOL yeah. <laughs> era media yeah. legacy company. That was hilarious.
1: Yeah, and then at the tailgate, right, Shiv is like doing PR in real time. She's trying to make sure Matson looks good right in front of these powerful political guests mm-hmm. before he purchases one of the most prized cultural assets and political communication channels in America. Yeah. Shiba's was really selling
0: the company <laughs> yeah. more than I've ever heard the company be sold.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but Roman then gets dirt on Matson, Right. Yeah. And Ebba drops that bomb that the Gojo subscribers Actually, is an inflated number for India, like if there were two Indias. A
0: phantom India. Yeah. yeah.
1: And Shiv realizes she made the wrong alliances. We knew this was going to come back, like the picture in the plane of the brothers. And Tom and her get into it on the balcony. And again, this Hall of Fame succession scene. Yeah. And then we have Ken at the end, you know, telling us he loves his siblings, but not in love with them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and there's
1: only one head for the one crown. He right. We know he's serious when he's talking to Frank one on one. Yeah, you know? what does he say, Kenny and Frankie? <laughs> yeah, they, it, it's just Kenny and Frankie. Yeah, just want to do five, <laughs> not like chair a chair and CEO. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> it's similar to when he talks to Frank, like when he is doing the bear hug with his dad. Right, yes. he always talks to Frank first, which Frank is kind of like his father figure. Isn't that his
0: godfather or am I wrong? I think it
1: is his godfather. Okay, yeah. He talks yeah. to him in the kitchen remember's Thanksgiving when he doesn't know how to make coffee in his house. Like yes. yeah. We we need a, <laughs> a Kenny and Frankie spin-off.
0: That a Kenny and Frankie spinoff would be a great show. I think Jeremy Strong would be up for it. Oh yeah.
1: Okay. So before we get to our awards and our power rankings. Let's do ATN headlines. So did you find some? The Yeah. The first time I watched this, I was like, oh, maybe we'll just use the like Zoom chat oh, <laughs> from <yeah>. Greg's firing. <laughs> but I actually watching it the second time caught some ATN headlines and headlines okay. from other news organizations. So at the beginning of the episode, Tom and Shiv are looking at hot Fresh poll numbers. Um, <laughs> and they find out that Jimenez is up by four, uh-huh. which I think are these like breadcrumbs really telling us that like, Jimenez might win. And we're, we're, we'll talk more about that, like those details that we get throughout the tailgate party. Yeah. But I actually think. We'll get into it in my predictions. I think it might swing the other way.
0: Big 2016 election. Bias. Yes, yeah. exactly.
1: And I think if they, they could have even gone where they made the democratic candidate, a woman, but I think it would have been like two on the nose.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: Uh, but they're just kind of exploring the idea of Mencken. Yeah. That is like a Trumpian figure. So we find out Jimenez is up in the polls and uh, Shiv asked Tom, like, how are you going to play this at ATN today? And Tom goes, oh, you know, I don't know, like amplify Jennifer Maniacs or <laughs> deny shit on and Barry, I guess, like yeah. just cute breakfast talk. And she's <laughs> like, go out and, you know, get to work. You got to contribute to the great toxification. He's like, got to do my part as he's walking <laughs> out the door. But then we do have election news headlines. So at the party, someone's scrolling through their phone, if you remember those infographics yeah. of the current polling numbers. And it's not an ATN headline, but it's an MNB headline. And okay. it's it's early in the in the party. And we have 49% for Daniel Jimenez and 45% for Jared Mankin. Okay. And we see that Jimenez, I think, is like rising in the polls. I
0: did see on the game that Mankin was winning Arizona, I believe. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah, that said that in the article also where Macon has Arizona and I think Jimenez is either up or like winning North Carolina and Michigan. Gotcha. But on that guess the split board that you're talking about for winning that kettle corn prize (laughs) we do also see Macon and Jimenez like slogans for their presidential campaign.
0: I did not see this. Yeah
1: and Macon's slogan is America strong and free.
0: Nice. (laughs) And
1: Jimenez is let's do this (laughs) (laughs) and then later from yeah ATN headlines we I forget who was in the room but it was the person that Nate didn't feel comfortable like being around okay Uh, he was like telling people that Nate was there oh yes he was standing with Shiv and Tom right and he was telling Tom that this is an ATN headline that's out there right now that Dems positive polls a radical misinformation plot yeah (laughs) and Shiv's like you gotta like tell Pam whoever Pam is to like just kill that because people are bugging me about it. Like she actually doesn't care. She, you know, ships just like I cannot appear to be on the side of ATN. Yeah, it cuts into it later when she calls him like a conservative, right? She wants to put all of her like capital idea this whole corporation identity that she has pawning it off on tom
0: yeah i actually that's actually a great connection to later on when she calls him a conservative because that did come out of nowhere a yeah little bit, but that does make sense it's
1: because she is you know insecure about who she actually is like the family that she actually belongs to right
0: of corporate america and, yeah
1: so yeah. there are no other headlines here but i do want to put out like what i feel like Kendall really would love to see as a headline, you okay. know, when he was in his days alone, like having lunch with people, remember <laughs> to, to get like articles written about him and get yes. be positive in the press. I love when Shiv calls him Kendall plus, you know, yeah, I, I yeah, think yeah. he'd love to see that on the front page. <laughs> the man who's going to lead us to eternal life, Waystar Jesus. Waystar Jesus. <laughs> I could
0: totally see him getting a shirt that said Waystar Jesus. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then also when Kendall gives his speech, you know, this is like the kind of headline behind closed doors, but no matter what the election results are, we're all going to stay sane and we're all going to stay friends, right? This whole election is just like a game to yeah. the people in the room.
0: Yep. Blue and red don't exist for these people. Yeah. All
1: right. So let's get into our cringe award.
0: So the one thing that you left out of your protein that is in my cringe award okay. is Jerry versus Roman.
1: Oh yes. Yeah.
0: And I feel like that is kind of the, the biggest element of this episode that's not being talked about that is this Jerry finally drops it on Roman that she might sue him if she if he doesn't pay up hundreds mm-hmm. of millions of dollars and doesn't let the eye-watering sums yeah PR team rewrite the narrative of what happened between her and the Roy's so I want to start off there, but I do want to note something you said while watching this. You called the last 10 to 15 minutes of this episode a relay race of cringe. And I thought that was genius.
1: Well, I was like, at first I was like, this is like a cringe marathon. I feel so seen in our awards of of the cringiest moments. Because you're right, that last 10 minutes is the characters just passing the baton from... One explosion (laughs) to the next, right? We have Jerry and Roman, then Roman running over to yell at Connor, then the Kendall Mattson showdown, and then Tom and Shiv on the balcony, like back to back.
0: And even before Jerry and Roman, I think Shiv is talking to Mattson about the double India situation.
1: Oh yeah. No, I think you're right. And I guess, yeah, just the dominoes falling this episode, but something I do want to say in this like relay race of cringe I think most of these fall more in the cringe moment award, but I want to save the Tom and Shiv balcony scene more for my like tragic moment.
0: I agree. I had it there as well. So let's start off with Jerry and Roman. I think we've speculated all season long that the writers and showrunner, Jesse Armstrong were probably subverting our connection to Roman and we were right. They totally misdirected the audience built-in sympathy for this character and really all the siblings, but in this case, Roman specifically, they're really making it clear in this Jerry scene that he has been harassing Jerry and she has been waiting to use this leverage and to hopefully get what she deserves for being disrespected and harassed by Roman for almost two seasons, which is wild because we were worried. Yeah, I was just gonna say we were worried
1: because at the beginning of the season there wasn't really mention of like the harassment from Roman it was like Logan died, who's gonna take over the company? Jerry uh, could be in a position like to maybe take over a CEO since she's acting CEO.
0: And they also did this kind of small stuff with Roman's character where he like tried to help women in the story who were also like Harry, Exactly. So
1: you're right. Like everyone who was talking about succession, both like covering it or just having casual conversations or talking about how uh, Roman's like the most emotionally intelligent or like empathetic character, you know, it was all over my social and I I was genuinely worried like, wait, are they not going to write this in, uh, for Roman's character? And then also we get this idea, like you're saying, Jerry, has to use this as leverage because we know that if she goes through the channels of like reporting Roman, like Shiv, you know, flippantly suggests that she does when, when he accidentally sends that picture to Logan in right. the room and he wants to like fire Jerry, she knows that nothing will come of that, right? Like the Roy children will be untouched ultimately, and yeah, so Jerry's this is the only way
0: somehow getting some, yeah. This money. is her
1: chess move, right? To yeah. be like, I want millions,
0: right. Hundreds of millions, hopefully.
1: Yeah. And I think this kind of comes back into that conversation we've been having all season about Jesse Armstrong and the writers looking at the show as like a satire on the real world or just making comments about, like you're saying, these people in like wild positions of power like the Roy children. And ultimately there's not going to be any legal like justice for Jerry no. in this situation, like of being sexually harassed. And this is really unfortunate like the only thing that she can do in this situation. Like, I, I don't think the lawsuit will actually come back for Roman. Um, right. And but if well, anything, he has lawyers to, to get him out of it. If the pictures
0: do come out, we did put in our predictions last episode that Jerry could technically get Kendall and Roman out of Waystar. I guess that's true. And they true. could lose those CEO positions. And it would allow room for someone like Jerry to make her way to the top. And so mm. I'm just going to put that there for us later to come Never back to in our Jerry. power rankings. Yeah. yeah. Because she did make it into our power rankings last season. Like our updated list have has her at number three. Yeah. So that, yeah. Well,
1: even last episode that, you know, when Roman fires, I am her, good at my ugh, job. That is such a, yeah, a great scene and performance from her. Yeah.
0: So, One thing I want to note about this conversation is I think we're going to come back to this Jerry Roman scene as looking at Roman as being symbolically like killed. Okay. Like last episode, we talked about Roman in kind of spiraling out and calling it like the fall of Roman. It would have been cool if it was titled that because (laughs) he really, he's like, spiraling out of control he's firing two executives um who were purposely i think written as woman to foreshadow this episode episode seven what would happen as a result because episode seven is basically the end of roman to me it almost feels goodfellas-esque like roman is getting shot and killed in this in this moment mm-hmm. i almost think this is a send-off for jerry a little bit but this is kind of literally the the end of roman being involved in the plot of succession
1: Huh. I mean, we'd still have him possibly giving the speech at at the funeral, which I just can't see that going well at all. You know, I know he's pre-grieved and everything, but he can't talk about his dad unless it's blowing up at Mattson and blaming uh, the siblings keep doing this, but blaming the death on someone else, except for Kendall. I think he's the one who's actually pre-grieved and like processed this most. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. Only though that Jerry, this can't be like the final episode. It could her. be.
0: There's not much left. There's mm. only eight, nine, and 10. Like there isn't much room because still other characters, like this episode, we'll get to it, but this was the fall of Shiv and Tom. Yeah. And next episode, I would assume would be the end of Shiv and Tom. And then I would think the final two episodes are the fall of Kendall and then the end of Kendall. Like I do think, we've been talking about it all season long, but a through line of this show is showing how disconnected the siblings are and how this kind of, family generational cycle of trauma and uh, abuse has led to these siblings kind of ruining their situation for themselves. And yeah. They're basically all self-destructing.
1: Okay, I want to I get to my Kendall prediction later on because I feel different vibes coming out of this sure. episode.
0: Okay, well, before we do that, um, I do want to stick on Jerry and Roman for a second because this is one of the Hall of Fame conversations of succession and I do think that this moment is like a bookend for Jerry and Roman. So let's go ahead and play the scene. Okay, Ooh. Robo Jerry. First of all, I Scary. want money, mm-hmm. eye-watering sums, hundreds of millions of dollars. No, pass. So I have retained personal reputation management. Mm-hmm. They will be on the line when Carolina does her background briefings, off a set of my bullet points.
1: Mm-hmm. I will set off your bullet points.
0: And if I ever get a whiff of anything undermining my narrative, any time in the next five years. Mm-hmm. I will sue, and I will go public with as many, many pictures of your genitalia that I have in my possession. Mm -hmm. Have I made myself Uh, clear? Yes, absolutely. It's been a pleasure working with you, Jerry. Thanks. I could have got you there. (laughs) But nope. Nope.
1: Nope. See ya.
0: So, Jerry throws Roman out with the trash, and he immediately goes to attack Connor, who is the only person he believes will take a punch— but also someone who might hit back depending on your read of the scene. I think mm-hmm. you can maybe see it as Roman wanting to kick something, which I think is the like first reading of the scene. But I think like a layer underneath is really Roman and his traumatized past taking over and he wants someone to kick him.
1: That's more what I thought, yeah.
0: Right, and I think we're leaning toward the latter because Roman's character study of being held accountable for his actions, we often see his character revert back to his worst childhood self. That's his whole kind of unfortunate arc and self-destructive arc. And he is just completely berating Connor over this ambassador position. And this is where you can tell that Roman is basically egging Connor on in like a really exaggerated way. I think the last time we saw this was probably with Matson in Norway. And then yeah. before that, probably at Kendall's birthday in season three, when we meet Matson for the first time and Roman is like high on his own supply because he got Matson on board and he pushes Kendall over at his own birthday. So I think we're accustomed now to seeing Roman's deranged way of parsing out his emotions. But this time with Connor, he dialed it up to 12.
1: Yeah, you're right. And it's it's like he wants someone to punish him sort of like we saw in other episodes with Logan. Mm-hmm. Replaying, you know, the voice that Kendall like, sent him through text, deep faking him saying like, you're Tough. disappointing. Yeah. yeah. But we do see throughout the whole series, like Roman wanting to be told what to do right right? from like Carolina or from Logan. And even when Logan dies, he basically tells Ken and Shiv, like, can't someone tell us what, what like decision to make or what headline to make? And Kendall's like, no, like we have to do this for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Roman isn't even wanting to be told exactly what to do anymore. It's like, he has the most powerful, powerful position in the company. And instead he is just like poking at people and reacting so uh just like wildly because he doesn't want to be the one to say like i can't handle this yeah like powerful position even though i've been saying i could do it all my life or trying to fight for it all my life i want someone to like to to basically like metaphorically kill me like you you said in this scene
0: that's kind of like shiv and tom too yeah shiv doesn't want to divorce Tom. She wants to push Tom to divorce her. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it, the same thing of like kind of being, um, uh, ha- not having your hands dirty. Yeah. Right. And Keeping that's your the options whole, open. Yeah. The flow like water. Connor. <laughs> yeah, like Kendall Connor.
0: really is the only one willing to get dirty. And that's probably that why he might true. be the only one who literally dies.
1: Yeah. Which I, you know, Logan, we, I don't know, maybe he did underline, you know, he was like, maybe he's the only killer in the family. And that's why I'm just paying playing this like psychotic game with Kendall telling him he's not a killer, Yeah, but actually maybe he's the only killer in the family. I, I think Confirmed. though, what's interesting <laughs> in this, uh, in this specific uh, scene here is that people are talking to Roman. Like he's a puppy. Like yeah. Kendall's like easy, easy, you know? And Roman says some like really terrible things to Connor. He's like, everyone thinks you're a joke here. Like tell your air quotes wife to Mm -hmm. cover her shoulders and pack up and shut up. Right. And Connor just gives Roman like the big brother hand, you know?
0: Yeah. And he's like,
1: there's one person in this room that doesn't think I'm a joke. I'm going to listen to her. Walks
0: off with Willa. Yeah. You know, props to Connor, him and Willa have like this very transparent, transactional, romantic sort of connection But they somehow have like found something more human together than any of the other people in the show, even though Connor and even Willa to a certain extent as a second in command are basically evil people trying to control the world. Oh yeah, we talked
1: about it all spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. It's a spectrum of evil. (laughs) Yeah. They own like water that they're waiting until water is like a scarce resource to make money on. But I think I do think though, like within the spectrum of uh, human connection and the the ability to have connection yeah like shiv and roman are in this place
0: of they're delusional broken right yeah.
1: and then connor like we see him um he doesn't have his eye on the prize like kendall but connor was like hey guys this is like my birthday and i just want to have my dad come to my wedding you know yeah. what i mean like he just just he's very basic yeah things.
0: he just wants to feel real <laughs> yeah um okay so the cringe baton is passed off to ken and mattson the and- showdown this scene is literally constructed to make you want to watch the whole moment from the back of your hands because Matson is like spiraling out of control and Skarsgård yeah. is giving by far one of my favorite TV physical performances I've ever seen. He literally jumps over a couch like he's 15 years <laughs> old, <laughs> like a literal teenager. And yeah. He's punched over like a predator looking incel. And Kendall is having a pissing contest with him in front of I guess, 40 of the most important people in the United States. Yeah. So I think, just like last scene with Jerry and Roman, we should give this a listen to these boys pressuring each other about their falsified data on Living Plus and Gojo, because <laughs> I think this is one of the three Hall of Fame scenes from this episode. Well, uh, nothing happens in New York that doesn't happen everywhere. You should get that written on a cup, right? Shouldn't you get that written on a cup? Like, that would look so cool. You could sell that in a, in a head shop in Rotterdam. could be uh, a good business for you. Mm-hmm. Because I hear you might need some new revenue streams. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, really, really good presentation, by the way. Loved it. (laughs) Can't wait to get into those predictions, man. Those media predictions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about that. Estimates, you know, estimates. But you, man, your numbers exploding, right? Like, literally unbelievable. Well, thank you. Thank you. And congrats to you as well. So hear your numbers are gay my numbers are, are what gay my numbers are gay <laughs> yeah <laughs> you had this uh cute little valuation and your numbers just came out as gay it's kind of homophobic <laughs> man dude just let the wave hit you float out I think hey. I am the wave though you, actually you think you are the wave because you love the deal are you kidding biggest overpay in history Love that shit. Okay. Love it. All right. Love the deal. Woo! Love the deal. Love the deal. Come on. Come on. Come on, brother. Love the deal. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
1: And I love how right before this clip, Mattson, you know, tells Connor as he's leaving, like, you've got my vote. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The Swedish guy who can't vote. Yeah. And then
1: immediately kind of undoes whatever Shiv was trying to do by making him seem like an okay person just who's gonna take over this even. company to the yeah. room. He this is New York. He's like, who's going out in this shitty town? Tough, yeah. And then Ken is like put in this position where they have the space off in front of the whole room and they're just like posturing back and forth. You know, Kendall's like, oh, your numbers like they're almost <laughs> unbelievable. <Yeah. laughs> and the room has seen Matson's tweet, right? And from the like Living Plus yeah. aftermath. And then also like with his homophobic comment Ken you, he just like smiles before he goes back at Matson because he's giddy that yeah, he's that like basically gotcha. yeah that's like an easy thing that all, all these people in the room will agree with when The shareholders are
0: definitely not going to let you take over the company now that you've said something homophobic. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. well,
1: we're like, ironically, right, (laughs) ATN is like peddling the same hate speech or like the idea of, if we just like think back to the parallel of the 2016 election that's being drawn here and like how it's impacting Kendall's family.
0: I thought this was such a, I keep saying it, but who cares, especially during this writing strike, that this show would not be possible without this kind of dialogue. It's the irony, I think, of Kendall being a, Hashtag virtue signaler. Yeah. But him calling Mattson a homophobe or bigoted is like in a really dark way, just ironically hilarious. Like how you're talking about the hypocrisy of Kendall. It reminds me of Kendall in season three at the outside of a banquet screaming to the press. Fuck the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Kendall just being this walking contradiction and a symbol of, like, postmodern, progressive, late capitalism personified, like, someone who thinks they can fix public narratives and media or work in a competitive market to help people is just so in denial of their own role in destroying a culture. So this, like, cognitive dissonance that we keep seeing from Kendall, even though we've been promoting him as the number one boy all season is just fascinating because I think that is why he's our favorite character because Kendall really is almost like the character study of our lifetime in television and movies. I was trying to think about who I could connect him with. And I think it's probably Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg in the social network okay. where Kendall is just this elevated cartoonish version of that Zuckerberg character. And I think it's just, just so well done.
1: Yeah. Well, he's, because he's kind of like this idea of what, like companies who are virtue signaling or like performing this idea of caring about like a social issue. Yeah. It's but like Uber Eats doing 10% like,
0: off for Pride Month.
1: Yeah. Like they're just like selling their shit. Right. You know? So like but Kendall's doing the same thing. And he but he obviously knows again, like he cannot be touched. Um yeah. and he knows the secret about Matson. And, and I love when he says, I am the wave. Yeah, you
0: know, Uh, quick cue about this conversation as we kind of transition into the tragic moment between Shiv and Tom. Do we think the kiss between Skarsgård Uh, and Strong was improvised? Like, I know a lot of the writing is straight from the script in succession. So I'm not talking about like any of these actors doing too much improv here because it isn't but that kiss from skarsgard looked very random and even more random was the response kiss from jeremy strong yeah,
1: yeah that's why it was so quick <laughs> yeah
0: how scripted do you think that was do you think that was just out of nowhere natural that's the one question i think i'd ask yeah, and come yeah su- such
1: an a, yeah, aggressive neck kiss i yeah. think that i think that it was improvised because of what you're talking about like the ken or jeremy strong like you saw him as a performer like really quickly reacting if it was written like you know that was great for them performing, just, and
0: just the juxtaposition of a homophobic joke going to two ma- the man who made the homophobic joke kissing another man, just yeah, acting, again
1: like yeah, Iconic writing and, yeah, <laughs> this like hyper masculinity facing off, it, looking so foolish, like yeah. you know Shiv's like quite a show, you know. But before we actually go to Tom and Shiv, I do want to go on two other cringe moments. Okay, so during the party, Kendall has this moment of silence for Logan. And it was so cringy when Matson walks in during that moment of silence. Like yeah, you like, hear Shh. the chatter. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it felt like he was like Joker walking into oh Batman's party. Right. Cause he did that like hunched and and it was you're right like motioning that sh- with his like hand to his mouth it's
0: big like you know you remind me of my father and i hated
1: my father. <laughs> yeah big vibes super scary yeah, yeah. and then wow. also matson anytime that he was with eba and oscar the the three of them in the room was so cringy. like matson telling shiv that eba has like social anxiety when really he has social Ugh, anxiety yeah. and just later on, like joking that Greg can fire her because she's created and like fostered this situation where he finds it difficult to do what he wants and yeah. uh, and then we have that moment of like Lucas
0: Ebba. Ebba. yeah, yeah.
1: And, and just so cringy, obviously very tragic for Ebba, but like they're drawing these similarities too between Ebba and Jerry's situation with sexual harassment, and I can't imagine that it's the end for either of those characters, but hope not, especially when Matson's calling like everyone gather around like. This guy's about to fire my my senior comms, right? It was so cringy, but I love, which I wanna come back to later, Kendall watching with this like ominous music as Ebba yells, he I wish you would fire is me. It's
0: looming yeah. through every part of this house. Yeah, it's I, like, I
1: wanna talk about it later in our chess moves.
0: Okay, yeah, let's get to the tragic moment then. So Shiv and Tom let's just play the fight let's just start yeah, off by playing the fight it. <laughs> it's gonna be a long clip i'll, I'll probably do the last few minutes of it or whatever but like let's just all take this in immerse ourselves and then we'll talk about it you want to you want to actually clear the air fine you betrayed me you were going to see me get sent to fucking prison shiv and then you fogged me off with that fucking undrinkable wine and you won't have my baby because you never even thought, honestly, you'd be with me more than like four fucking years, I You don't offered think. to go to jail, Tom. You offered because you're servile. You're just, you're servile. You are incapable of thinking about anybody other than yourself, because your sense of who you are, Shiv, is that fucking oh, thing. Oh, yeah, you read that yeah. in a book, Tom? You're too fucking transparent to find in a book. You're pathetic. You're pathetic. You're a masochist and you can't even take it. I think you are incapable of love, and I think you are maybe not a good person to have children.
1: Well, that's not very nice to say, is it?
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you, you, you have hurt me more than you can possibly imagine.
1: And you, you took away the last six months I could have had with my dad. No. Yes. No. Yes, you sucked up to him and you cut me out.
0: It's not my fault that you didn't get his approval. I have given you endless approval and it doesn't fill you up because you're broken. I don't like you. I don't,
1: I don't even care about you. I don't care. That we cleared the air, huh? Feel good now? Yep. Yeah. yeah.
0: Fucking great. Uh Tip top.
1: You don't deserve me. And you never did. And everything came out of that. So fucking flat.
0: So leading up to this balcony scene between Shiv and Tom, there has been seasons long passive aggressive conversation and silence between these two characters. Yeah. Even though they've only been married for what we assume to be like a year, right? When we try to do well, the succession so timeline.
1: Shiv says that you cut me out for the last six months of my dad's life. Right. So we can assume which like we didn't really know how much time had passed between season three and season four now, but now it's confirmed that it it's is been like six months. Six months. So that means season how long one have they and been two. married?
0: Okay, well so seasons one and two, there was like a three day jump there because Kendall right. goes to rehab and someone from the succession team comes in like or succession team, the Waystar team <laughs> yeah. comes and picks him up and Kendall's like, It's been like forty eight or seventy two hours. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really only been a few days. And then at the end of season two, Kendall goes from the news conference to the beginning of season three to him, like being in a bathtub in a hotel, literally like minutes after that conference. Mm -hmm. And then we have the six months. So really, it's been less than a year. Yeah, because
1: they got married in the last few episodes of season one.
0: Sure. So they've been married for less than a year. And I guess this kind of makes sense. If you look at it from that yeah, lens, like there's they, been
1: a lot unsaid, just like brewing very quick, yeah. quickly. they they're supposed these, to like, be like months, months. the honeymoon phase, you know, there was never a honeymoon phase. They were on a <laughs> random you know, yacht honeymoon? on their phones.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this episode, they are like kind of, I guess having sex off camera and they're texting a lot in this episode and exchanging very odd scorpion gifts that you mentioned early on, mm-hmm. which, and I don't really want to unpack that because it just seems like out of our knowledge base, but it is really... Yeah, it was
1: probably something, you know, within the like lore of Yeah, Tom well,
0: she's calling, or he's calling her a scorpion, and- I guess, and she's calling him a snake at on the balcony yeah. too. So they're calling each other dangerous animals. And <laughs> there's just so much like God-tier miscommunication that is now boiling over in this balcony moment to the point where like Tom is like obviously depressed and is detached from the world he lives in, which is the way I read him saying all episode that he is quote unquote tired mm-hmm. and needing a nap. I think he's just very sad right now and that isn't me like sympathizing with him over Shiv. He's obviously a very bad person who loves nice things and also human footstools, but he True. is from like a middle class lifestyle who I think we get the vibe from him that he has dreams of a white picket fence suburban home with a wife and kids and I think it's just so fully obvious now that him and Shiv aren't going to work, which we can get into, I guess, a little bit later. So he's, like, really miserable at this point in the show. And Shiv is distressed and troubled from her father's death to her pregnancy to her awful alliance with Mattson and throwing her family under the bus. And now she has, like, this intense fear of becoming her mother Mm -hmm. or her father, being alone, and her seemingly failed relationship with Tom are really all of her fears materializing. So I think this balcony moment like I said earlier, is kind of the fall of Shiv and Tom. It's like the succession of writers are getting rid of all these characters. And last episode was the fall of Roman. Now we have the fall on Shiv and Tom. And you can kind of see here that like Shiv and Tom basically die when you are looking at Tom kind of gaze over the balcony after their fight is over. It looks like he's going to jump. Like my yeah. TV brain was like, he's jumping. Yeah, But he kind of did jump and they both did jump. They They said the unsaid and now they're not coming back from that. And so Shiv at this point, to me is like totally incapable of connection because of her family's psychological abuse and warped views of love. And you literally hear like Shiv is doubting love as a concept when she's unpacking her thoughts with Tom. And it's like, she thinks genuine human connection is a myth. And she's basically describing her romantic philosophy on the balcony, which is that people are sort of competitive monsters. Like Tom loves her for her DNA. I think she says at one point, yeah, which I guess is like half true. And you get a vibe from Shiv that she thinks monogamy is just a product of people trying to like regulate themselves because without restrictions in our relationships we'd all just be competing with one another and kill one another. So she's like in a very toxic low place and I really felt in this Shiv uh breakdown that Logan's philosophy is coming through when he told What's his bodyguard's name again? Colin. Yeah. Colin. That. Oh,
1: people are numbers. Yeah, yeah, people
0: are numbers. Everything's a market. People are market. I think that really did a number on Shiv. I think we're trying to make a connection here because Armstrong has talked about how he views Shiv as the closest character to Logan. And okay. you can really see that in this moment. And so I really just view this whole just fall of Shiv and Tom as like almost like their death.
1: Yeah. And there have like only really been a few times where Tom and Shiv aren't subtly saying unsaid things to each other. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few like honest moments. The balcony scene is one last episode or the, yeah, it was last episode, right? When uh Tom talks about living in a trailer park and like giving up everything, which I think we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. And then also their wedding night when Shiv kind of tells Tom after they're already married that she doesn't really believe in love, but she does feel complicated because she does in her own way, love Tom. But I think we see this problem kind of from the beginning of their relationship to now where it's finally like coming to the surface that she has never experienced like love from her dad or her mom. And she doesn't know what a stable relationship looks like. And her way of testing if Tom actually loves her is to like treat him like he's disposable. Like these are the things that he is kind of listing out. Like you're joking about me being fired in this room full of the 40 most important people in the U (laughs) S
0: and
1: you know, I think that, like, this is another version of what she just sees Logan do in her life, right? Like, this idea of, like, kicking dogs to see if they'll come back, which we've been talking about since the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah, and Logan has children to have, like, leverage. Yeah. Like, that's what he uses his kids as, and he treated his wives as, like, assets and commodities and leverage, too, and they can be liabilities as well in his mind. And so I think shiv keeping tom around is basically just to use him as a way to get into certain doors yeah by putting him down to show her power and show her dominance in front of very powerful people and he's picked up on that for like eight months of their marriage now but this is like the last straw like in his own home being put down by everybody (laughs) like everyone (laughs) when he says like all right leave like we're going to bed everyone go home and cry or whatever he says like
1: (laughs) go cry in your own bed he's really
0: had enough what i think is funny about this episode and Shiv and Tom specifically is last episode, we really went on our prediction highs and we're like, we had our real first disagreement, I think, (laughs) on this succession pod journey that we're on, which was that I thought Shiv kind of denied Tom's subtle, double meaning, poorly communicated offer to leave all of the material wealth behind and live together in A trailer park, but really that just means they're high rise, I guess. Yeah,
1: (laughs) just staying in their penthouse.
0: Right. So I look at this balcony scene as basically Shiv denying Tom's offer from episode six.
1: Interesting. Okay, yeah. I think last episode I was feeling more on the side that Tom was not in this relationship right now in season four for love. And I still think that sort of like, I think if you were to ask me in episode one, like on their wedding night, Mm -hmm. I would say Tom does actually love Shiv more than he wants her DNA, even though that is a piece of it, obviously, yeah, right? Like he's you can't separate that. very concerned with buying Logan a watch, right, and yeah. giving Logan <laughs> this watch.
0: <laughs> and, I forgot about and his the prepared
1: watch. joke. Yeah, yeah. So I I think that that also is a huge piece of it, right? Because he does love his career, but now and like from last episode when he talks about like I love my my career and I like to have nice things. Um, and so what, like come join me in a trailer park. It felt to me like he was kind of egging her on like, Hey, you're Mm -hmm. hypocritical. Like, I yeah, I stabbed you in the back, um, for your dad, but you're going to throw me under the bus and like run me over anyway. So like, really do you want love? And then when she says like, I'll run away with you and they laugh together, I thought it was them being on the same page about them both actually valuing money at the end of the day Mm -hmm. regardless like even though they do have this like sort of you know still like love for each other yeah a a little bit or whatever the version of their love or connection is i do think though like now this episode with the writing maybe it does lean more on what you're saying about tom actually saying hey like i do love you because at the end of this this scene he says i'm with you because i love you and he says it like really earnestly The only issue is, it's like with all these characters, even Tom, right? Um,
0: They're liars. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: it's tough because I do think he means that.
0: Well, I think we have evidence, though. Last season, season three, and we'll eventually do our season three deep dive. It'll come. But last season, season three, we noticed that Tom all season long was just peppering in these like clues to Shiv that he was probably playing a different side that he really needed to confirm with her that she would not let him go to jail yeah
1: like will you take care of me
0: right and and she kept pushing and pushing and pushing away this conversation of jail and wine and jail Mm -hmm. wine yeah (laughs) (laughs) and like which jail he was gonna go to but he was really just desperately trying to use these subtle clues this kind of like puzzle of trying to see if she actually loved him to figure out whether or not he needed to throw her under the bus so he could survive. And so I look at those as more clues of that he actually loved her than, like, him saying, I love you on the balcony. Okay. And I think she knows that. And that's why I said that last episode, that I do think because the way this, the way that these characters talk to each other in riddles, because they do that, I looked at him saying the whole, like, I'll leave my ties behind and all that. Mm-hmm. Or I looked at that as, as being an earnest... Uh, his like one time of being real. Of like, I will proposing. live in a, quote-unquote, trailer park with you. And you know,
1: I still, I don't know. I, I do believe him that he said, I love you on the balcony, but I also think that he meant what he said last episode in my mind of like putting his, not his career and like possessions, Mm -hmm. but this idea of like, if we were to get into this again, like I would maybe pick Logan again, just because I know how much you don't love me. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. So I, I still think like the, that scene was interesting from last episode and I still do think that he does love her but in season four we see that he actually knows who Shiv is.
0: So I think... She's a Roy child. I agree. But I think last episode was again this kind of like we are seeing the fall of Shiv and Tom, the, the, the ticking time bomb just started going off. And then this balcony scene is them metaphorically jumping off together. They're both like dead. Okay. And like, sure, I, don't, yeah.
1: I mean, the, when she says like, it's so flat and her voice cracks, it, it's really tragic. It's and she says, you know, like, really great I acting. don't even care about you, which we know is a lie too, right? Shiv In in her own way cares about Tom. Sure. And I mean, that's
0: why the show is amazing. Cause those are things that real people outside of the succession world do say in the heat of a moment, at 11 o'clock at night when they're really tired on a work day, like <laughs> that, I can totally see <laughs> that happening. So like that makes sense. And that's why we're so connected to these characters. Cause you sympathize with what they're saying. These harsh things are saying to one another. Yeah.
1: I think something that was interesting here, um, Shiv kind of everything she was saying back to Tom was a projection. Like because he said, like, you can just get out of any situation. You'll be fine. Yeah. Like, she's, you know, freaking out about putting herself on the mats and cross. And throwing and her family a, the bus. A, Yeah, a bomb in the numbers. And she's going to get blown up. And he's like, y- if you're in hot water, you'll always have an out. Because you have wealth and you have power. And Shiv is just projecting, like, she's like, if you really want to talk, your mom loves me more than she loves you. And I was like, is she just talking about Logan? Like, she calls him yeah. a masochist, right? I was like, she's just talking about herself and Roman does similar things actually when he's going off on someone and then you know
0: she is talking about herself and or Logan because like last season when they get back together to like I think she says do you want to have a baby and they start having sex again for the first time in a long time she says, like, I don't even, I think she says, I don't even love you to him.
1: Well, oh, that was the other, I guess, like, in we view as, like, a very honest moment where I think that's where Tom ultimately kind of knew. turns. Yeah. Um, and also in the conversation after about freezing eggs, because you're right. She says, I don't even love you. Yeah. And that's why you love me. Like, you don't deserve Ugh. me. And that comes back here where she says, like, you don't deserve me, which I do think she might think. Um, think deep down in like a very twisted way, even though she cares about him. Yeah. So, this
0: family sucks. But the yeah. most
1: tragic thing I think that Tom like says to her is when he yells, like you were going to see me go to prison and then also like, it's not my fault that you didn't get Logan's approval. Like I gave you approval, but it didn't fill you up because, mm-hmm. and he does that, like you're broken mm-hmm. with his hands. A lot of like great physical performance, even when he says like your, your sense of yourself is that fucking thin, right? You shouldn't have even married me. I
0: noticed any performer who is, doesn't have an American accent, like just naturally, like they do use the physical performance as one of their best skills because they're trying to get you to look <laughs> away, trying to get your ears to not pick up there some were, things. Actually, This
1: is the first time I ever heard, uh, Matthew McFadden's, uh, yeah. British accent coming through. Same for me, one of the it's first times I've heard for Shiv yelling. though. Yeah, oh, really. When she
0: says flat, the way she says flat is oh. killer and it does get to me. But the way she says it, I'm like, that does not sound like the way you talk in this show. So there are certain things that are really hard to yeah, say. Yeah, it's tough I think. to do an
1: emotional performance like crying and keep the American accent intact. But. Uh, and
0: also to yell, it's really hard to keep the accent. So Tom, really, especially, like McFadden kills it.
1: Yeah, it's like even though we knew both the characters were feeling this all along and we like, like I said before, like pre-grieved their relationship, the end of it, it, we still like, there's so much just tragedy in their, their conversation here, like being honest with each other. Should we clear the air? Um, I do want to say this conversation made me think of like, what would Ken and Rava's divorce be like, maybe even worse with like Ken's substances. And it's interesting that Jesse Armstrong is playing with Like he has to have one of the children in a relationship to show how broken all of the children are. And uh they did do try to maybe go on that storyline with Roman too. Um one of our friends texted us and was like, wait, Roman was married in succession, or or maybe not married, but had a kid at least. And we were like, yeah, if you go back to listen to our season one episode, we talked more about it. But they did suggest that Roman had a kid in the first episode of season one. And obviously, they had to cut that real quick because Roman can't have responsibilities to make his character make sense. But Mm -hmm. Shiv here really is like this representation of like, what does love mean to the siblings?
0: Yeah, this whole Roy family. I... I don't want to touch on it right now, but the Rava Ken, like, does Ken care about his children arc? Of, I really don't like that rewrite. I know a lot of people are playing around with that. Does Ken know who his kids are? Like, where are Ken's kids? But the reason why Ken's kids aren't in this show anymore is because they got old. And so yeah. they're so tall and old. And they were like, <laughs> actually, like
1: little before when we saw them at Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah. And it's
0: been like 10 months in succession. So the whole like rewrite of Kendall not being a caring dad and only caring about the company doesn't really like actually make any sense in the grand scheme of the show because if you go back to season one he does care about his family a little bit more than anybody else in the show cares about their family at least for that we're getting a glimpse of especially his siblings and logan so yeah I-
1: it does seem like he has a little bit more of a like an emotion like capacity for exactly. someone, even if it's like getting a little bit of mo- rabbit a more self-awareness <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah and the reason that we don't see his kids and the reason why like he doesn't go and help the rabbit with his kids is because again they're old and they're very tall so um last thing that we did not mention with shiv and tom oh
1: yeah the biggest thing
0: yeah the pregnancy yeah uh so i'm gonna touch more on this in my predictions but i don't know if the pregnancy will amount to anything Or if anyone will find out about it because... You
1: don't think anyone will find out?
0: I think it's very possible. It makes sense as a through line for Shiv's character and the kind of connection they're making to her becoming her own worst nightmare, which is like one of her parents... It's possible there could be a miscarriage, though. I think that would be really dark. Or she possibly gets an abortion without telling anyone. Oh, yeah.
1: We did think about that last episode or last podcast. I I think that could be true, too. I just think that they... I just think they,
0: like, fell to their death already. So I don't know if they're going to bring that up. The
1: writers are laying it in so much where I thought in this conversation, I don't know if you felt this way, too. I was like, is she about to tell him? Is she about to use this as, like, a chess move to be like, well, I can't have children. Like, this is... I am actually, like, having... Your child.
0: I read it the other way. This was a chess move for her to decide not to have the child. Like that's okay. like when he says what he said. Like she's going to use that against him. Like now she has leverage, which is like he. Well,
1: you don't want in this relationship, and you aren't going to be a part of. And you're definitely the power, not going to be a father. The yeah. line to the power. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's almost like their first test at taking care of anything besides Mondale, but it's like their wine Who's that again you know <laughs> it's like their wine right like it feels like tom's taking care of their like child all throughout this party <laughs> like, yes
0: it's biodynamic
1: yeah i think <laughs> does he say don't say that or something
0: yeah no i think he says to it, say it's light and fruity and if it's, it's fizzy, biodynamic it's
1: sophisticated yeah
0: he's fine but
1: he's basically taking care of their interests while shiv is out there like making jokes about Matson uh firing yeah. tom when he's in power
0: yeah. Okay. Well, that was a lot of Shiv and Tom. We'll talk more about them in chess moves.
1: I do, Well, I do want to say one thing about Tom saying like, you probably shouldn't have children to her because obviously it comes back to all these things that we know that, like you said, it's Shiv's kind of like her, her onion, right? Like her yeah. mom tells her that she shouldn't have, she, Caroline should not have had kids. She didn't actually want kids. Um, but Logan wanted that. them. Yeah. And also like some people just shouldn't. And she mm-hmm. is subtly saying that Shiv shouldn't. So I, it's a really sore spot for Shiv. And it's really recent. It's
0: like six months ago. Yeah. So uh, Well,
1: yeah, exactly. And and I think though, this was the only time, the first time I watched it, I it was like, I felt this was super written. Like I, mm. I felt the pen of Tom saying that just because it felt a little bit bit out of left field I mean he was talking about like you just shouldn't have married me like yeah you are instead of telling me you don't want kids with me you kind of like strung me along in different ways professionally and like ruined my life <laughs> like you know what I mean on the right. way and so uh professionally and, and any kind of opportunities I could have to not only be happy but like stable anyway
0: I forgave it just because like I'm really happy that this show didn't give us the scene after the eighth season Like they could have easily led us to this point of like them being married for literally four years. Like how Tom puts it like you were just going to like, you know, keep me for four years. That would have been pretty like annoying. And every every season, every term we would have been like, are they going to finally be honest with each other? And at least we get it here. And it does feel really written, like you say. But like if you're going to write something and make it seem like very explicit that there are a lot of like like a lot of people on the script on this one, at least write banger lines like you're too transparent to be in a book yeah I mean that's incredible I
1: do think we could look at it in a different way too though where Tom says you know I'm sorry like that I said that but you've hurt me in ways that you can't even imagine and we can maybe see that like real life where you know sometimes people say things Mm -hmm. that they know is like really gonna cut deep yeah um and that could have been like Tom even though he's talking about all these things like that have actually happened with like sending him to prison or whatever. Um, you know, just the small things, but, uh, knowing that that will really cut deep. So, yeah. Okay. Funniest moments. Yeah. Funniest moments. Uh,
0: the first thing I wanted to note was Tom being pre-tired. I just, I want to just say again, just getting representation here was really nice. We are not really represented in the succession show, but just Tom telling everyone that he is getting ready to be tired, and and Greg telling him maybe drink a cup of coffee, and then Tom going okay, but then later I can't sleep, which is exactly. just really yes. relatable for us and longtime <laughs> listeners who know that we've done really late pods because we don't we get early screenings because we look for them on big movies, and so like we are constantly searching for those screenings, and when we do find them, sometimes they are like an hour away, and if we want to do a reaction pod to those things, we are up east coast like in the AM like yeah. real late in those coffees you have to make a decision Yeah, like am I going to be up <laughs> till five it's an hour I mean,
1: calculation yeah yeah. so <laughs> yeah okay I, I also had Tom in mind I also just loved Roman ki- trying to convince Connor mm-hmm. uh, to you know he's offering him all these countries and ambassador positions on behalf of Mencken's campaign so that way Connor will drop out and give his support <laughs> to Manchin and i love when connor says like you know tell tell him like un is more my vibration yeah, 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 but yeah. the best part of this episode is when the pierce cousin comes back from season my 2 leash. and yeah and he's in the room with connor like like kind of telling him he, he's his advisor you know yeah, just yeah. shaking his head or nodding and Connor said he hated him right when they first met.
0: Doesn't he work for Brookings? Isn't that where yes, he... Yes,
1: I think so. Yeah. yeah. He's not the three PhD person. Yeah, I think he's Brookings. Yeah. And <laughs> and I think when he meets him, he says like he hates him, right? They both immediately just despise each other. But then the next morning, Connor ends up telling someone that he offered the Pierce cousin, the State Department, at like 3 a.m. over whiskey <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to have him be his advisor now and saying, like, what about South Korea? And then Connor goes... North Korea. Yeah. And he's like, whoa. Yeah. My yeah. leash. You don't
0: know. <laughs> no one knows.
1: Yeah. That's the point. Nobody knows. That's <laughs> the whole point. And he's like, I'm insulted now that. You know, I won't get nuclear weapons where well, I Well, that's go. the
0: thing. I love that his his stipulations to taking the ambassador position is that he's looking for a country with high GDP. Okay, that's fine. Not too many car bombs. Oh okay. And then most importantly, like readily available nuclear weapons. Yeah.
1: Well, that's more Connor's style is like to lay low and then all of a sudden be like, Okay, I want full control and yeah. dictator vibes, right? Like all of a sudden he just posts this video that he's running for yeah. the president of the United States and he's not gonna pay his taxes.
0: <laughs> and just seemed like kind of emotionally absent like he I, I mean i know a lot of people think connor is some of the one of the characters he's actually in touch with his emotions because him
1: and shiver close yeah he cares about the siblings right but there is dad.
0: maybe he's just a little savage to like a really disgusting degree yeah. because there is a moment where he's at lunch with his siblings and connor talks about how logan looks in a coffin and oh, says yeah. he finds how consoling it is how much he's not there yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he is the one who we've said is like actually pre-grieved. Like he knows his dad actually hates him. He's come to yes. terms with it. Yeah. And uh but yeah, I think that Connor underneath it is low-key like one of the most savage characters like we are all yes. in trouble when water is scarce like he said in season one he has four lakes or something under his property under his organic farm that he doesn't yeah. really do any <laughs> work for Do you remember um, when the closing... he's going to be selling water back to people
0: do you remember the closing credits of the big short where they're like the next thing to tumble the united yeah. states or global market is going to be the water scarcity yeah I'm connor
1: sure... roy spinoff
0: yeah connor saw that and was like hey i think i know what to invest in."
1: Next. <laughs> from the big short
0: uh okay chess moves ready
1: okay yeah i
0: think we should start with roman who i think makes some moves but they're the worst moves and for new listeners we usually start off with who made some chess moves but ultimately lost the quickest yeah, failed and chess moves. who made the best chess moves yeah so, roman's
1: so volatile right yes. he like apologizes to ken for the wibble wobble on living plus yeah. and not putting the flight suit on uh, and then calls Ken like the greatest showman. So he's like, okay, you know, every, every episode we are kind of getting subverted. Like, oh, well maybe, you know, that, that thing with Matson didn't really matter, you yeah. know, that he blew up or, uh, but I think Ken's like putting together these puzzle we'll pieces. That. Yeah. yeah that Roman is. is not trustworthy, right? Love him, but not in love with him. Yeah. And then. <laughs> Roman though also does something good at the beginning of this episode. He gets dirt on Matson about sending his blood and hair to Ebba and he then teams- basically
0: gains the leverage that we thought Shiv exactly. had to take to the end of the season. But yeah. now we know Roman can know but Nate knows about it. It sounds like he walked in on or that conversation. It, yeah. yeah so- and then
1: he teams up with Ken to talk to Ebba on the balcony mm-hmm. after Ken spots that like, oh, Ebba is about to like turn on Matson, but ultimately, you know, Roman cracks because he is a terrible person, like all season. And Jerry essentially tells him like, you messed up from firing me. That and is the fail. I will release yeah. the records. If you ever say anything negative about me.
0: Right. Okay. So that's the obvious fail of Roman. That's why he's first on these chess move rankings. But I want to just note that the Roy's do have a case in convincing the shareholders tonight to not vote for the Gojo takeover with mm-hmm. the blood. I do think that's kind of a big deal. I'm not sure it's a move, uh, exactly for them because I think they're going to get screwed in a different way, which I'll get to in my predictions, but Roman's connection to Manken. And the team, through all the phone calls he took all episode, yeah. was actually, I think, helpful helpful for his power in this episode. Even though Kendall does try and shoot down the Mencken move by saying, shouldn't we just dump him? Because he's going to want ATN to tell the public that the libs are coming to give your guns hormone therapy. So Roman does That's try. Great writing. It, I yeah. mean, it was just like, you have to be so culturally in the know. And the fact that most of the writing room is British is hilarious that they must have had to watch so much cable television in the U.S. to pick up on that. Um, but Roman does like convince his brother pretty easily that they should stick with the political gamble of Mankin. I do think that, you know, this is more evidence for Kendall's chess move. You're right. Later Mm -hmm. on that Kendall can kind of see through Roman's BS and Shiv with Madsen. So I think he understands after getting screwed by his father through these four seasons, that everyone has this secondary, more self-interested motivation outside of helping the family, like how Kendall has talked himself into like him thinking that that's his motivation. Um, And then I would say Roman's last move was getting the funeral speech which I don't think will end well
1: Uh, definitely at all but he got (laughs) it nonetheless
0: I mean if Willow writes it he's screwed
1: I was surprised how easily the the siblings said yes because they positioned it at breakfast like oh yeah like this is uh who whoever wants the speech you know we could like anyone could take it like we'll all just be you know agreeable but both uh Connor and Kendall established that they would like to give the speech at breakfast. Is there in anybody in
0: particular that the most you most
1: cultural and politically powerful people in the world? As Shiv says.
0: Yeah. Well, is there anybody that you wanted to give the speech?
1: I, I wanted Ken to do the speech. Okay. Um, just but, cause we
0: like watching him give speeches. Yeah. I just like fun. watching him
1: give speeches, but I think that Roman Will it will be a similar feeling to watching the satellite or the space shuttle blow up?
0: Greg is turning into such a despicable character that I thought it would have been really fun for him to do the Logan Some sort funeral of read a, a
1: poem or like a religious, like yeah. whatever Catholic. Yeah. Uh, thing maybe that he's the appetizer for Roman's
0: funeral speech. Yeah. I hope we get something like that.
1: Yeah. Maybe, I mean, Ewan's going to be there. I, this is why I can't wait for the funeral episode because it's kind of like the mm-hmm. huge, it's the Super like, Bowl get, of succession. Yeah, exactly. It's Logan's
0: death. And I'm going to get to my predictions because I have a wild. I don't know if you might be angry at me. It is kind of like an extreme prediction, okay. but I but I'm gonna make a pretty serious prediction about the funeral at the end of this. I'm this so episode. interested.
1: Okay. Well, but while we're on this though, I think it's interesting that Roman does have a connection to Minken. And we've been having these like breadcrumbs all episode that everyone thinks Jimenez is going to win, mm-hmm. right? He's up in the polls. We learn at the beginning of the episode from Tom and Shiv, It's being like very subtly told to us throughout this like ken is like i think we just say like forget Mencken, like he's trying to get connor to come to his side like he's not going to win is basically what kendall's saying to roman yeah you know who cares what he wants and you're right he's like well you go take Minken and i'm going to take Jimenez's team uh, by talking to nate right um with his connection to gill as well because kendall thinks that's who's going to win he wants to make sure that he is on that side. So and I guess so, Roman
0: is right. He does. Yeah, but
1: I was like, okay, well, well Ken need Roman um on his one head one crown journey and I think I I think we might get a scene with Ken and Minken in well, the room because ultimately like it's not like Roman and Minken while they speak the same like right. you know weird language, I think that Minken is like a loose cannon and he would just have a relationship with Kendall. I like,
0: think Mankin's team needs ATN more than ATN needs Mankin. Hmm. You know, I think it's kind of the Trump Fox news thing. It's like they can do without him. They can just keep using his name forever. That doesn't matter to them. And it's just better press if that he keeps tweeting about them. So if Mankin doesn't end up liking ATN and they fall out, then it works for Kendall. So I think he's fine. Ultimately, I think Ro- this whole episode was to show us that Roman's done. And so like he did make some moves. They're not going to work. The next person I have on the list is Shiv.
1: Me too. Yeah, okay.
0: I think on the surface her moves failed with both Matson and Tom, but she's still kind of like unscathed in the company, aside from like Tom and her marriage. But like her brothers and maybe like their role in the company as co CEOs, they're in the limelight where she isn't. Um, and you know, maybe she can actually help build a new India for Matson during the takeover, whatever that looks like in data control. So she is still kind of like Connor to me, moving like water, just flowing. So I guess that is good.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think we are obviously supposed to understand that she had a failed chess move, right? By saying that she feels like she's going to get blown up by the bomb in Madsen's yeah, numbers. For sure. um, but she does like have leverage. It seems like over Matson at the beginning of this, I, but again, I think we're being subverted. Like when she calls him, it feels like she's the boss. When she says you need to go to this party. Yeah. And like, she's like, you're acting, you know, uh, silly and making yourself look unprofessional in front of these people. But ultimately, like we know that he's in power again. Um, and this is, goes back to the blood scene where we're like, we thought he's playing her mm-hmm. because she asks for the top position in the company um but doesn't get it stamped right she right. gets brushed off by matson and she says like i want a very 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 important role and he sees weakness there right like he knows that uh, i never had
0: an important yeah, role like
1: yeah. <laughs> she, she just didn't ask for it like she wasn't cut through or, or demanded like the killer it. that logan yeah. feels like and and lets him kind of uh like keep keep going and i think this whole time he was kind of like poking to see like how much he could Uh, push Shiv or or like testing her by making the first, that joke about who's going to get the house and the divorce with Tom and Shiv. And then also this joke about firing Tom the whole night, especially to Nate. I don't think he has the background that Nate would like to fire Tom because of everything that's happened. Also, I love when Tom says like, I missed you (laughs) to to (laughs) Nate, (laughs) but Uh... I, I think that it is interesting that Shiv has a failed chess move here. And well, I think she can get out of it. She's not formally, like, her name Madsen isn't on is any paper. Empowered.
0: Yeah, I know. But this is the thing, like, when I, I don't even believe the writing when she says to Tom, she screwed because the and bomb's going to blow up and she's throwing her family under the bus because she was going to send Kendall to jail. And she wrote that whole letter yeah. about him when he was going to go on live TV about how he's, like, a recovering drug addict or whatever and, like, hurting his family. And Roman's sending people at Kendall's family. They've all thrown different people under the bus already, so... I just think that this episode was a reminder that, like, she can still make business chess moves, but emotionally she failed. Okay. Like, she's disconnected. Um, She is from human connection. From
1: whatever kind of thing the siblings were trying to salvage at the beginning of the season.
0: Yeah. Her and her siblings are not going to make the 100, and her marriage isn't going to work. Whether that's good or bad for her in the long term, I don't know. But, like, her moves ultimately aren't going to affect her in the business because she's not formally a part of the Mattson team.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, like, wondering what's going to happen with her character now because I think... Kendall can easily like pawn off Roman Mm -hmm. and manipulate him. Like we've seen both the siblings try to do, but like you said, Shiv is Kendall's greatest threat. And like, he could, you know, she could say, Hey, I want to align myself with you. And then Ken could like use that. Um, but I think what's coming is, Kendall's
0: going to cut ties with the siblings next episode. Okay. We'll get to it. But like, he kind of made that clear with Frank.
1: So then my next chess move, I'm not sure if you have this here, but is Tom.
0: I have Greg, but we can go to Tom.
1: Okay, yeah. I, I have Greg next, too. But for Tom right now, so he trusts Shiv, right? He's, like, taking care of their interests while she is talking with Matson, And he thinks he's on the team, right? When she says yeah. Matson's coming, he says, it's my time to dance, right? Yeah. <laughs> and... We see him also just like lying to himself, like throughout the night, kind of like we've seen him in this like toxic cycle with Shiv's relationship where he tells Greg, like they're just talking, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, it's similar to what you, oh, you said this is uh, it's similar to the scene where we find out that he knows that Shiv is cheating on him with Nate.
0: And then beats up Greg. Yeah. And like, just
1: can't come to terms with that. So he makes a failed chess move in trusting Shiv again, Mm -hmm. I think. And and then maybe that also does kind of support your take on like that. He actually does love Shiv because he's trying to realign. Of course we've seen him like trying to attach himself to anyone at the beginning of this because his protector has died. Yeah, But it does seem like there is some sort of connection there that he has with Shiv. But I do think it's ultimately a failed chess move because like, what is he going to do now? Like I was thinking, is Tom going to align himself with Kendall, but also Kendall, he burned Kendall. He burned all the siblings.
0: Well, Tom is the rare character. I think the only character when he loses an emotional chess move, which is weird that I'm now separating chess moves between emotional chess moves and business ones. But I do think weirdly in this show that kind of fits. Yeah. He's the only character when he loses an emotional chess move. That's also him losing a business chess move. So, like, no other character is really like that in the show. You can stay in the, you know, chess game really high up in the numbers and be winning the game in business, but completely have lost the emotional game already. And that is the interesting dynamic of all these characters and the different kind of storylines that they have for their character arcs. But Tom, unfortunately, like, what we've been saying about him and Shiv is that half of his relationship with her is the DNA, and the other half is that he does love her. Yeah, yeah.
1: So then let's move on to Greg or well, sorry, wait for Tom. Then do you think that he's going to work with Kendall? Like, what do you think is going to happen with Tom? No,
0: I want to be really clear about this. It is like a Sopranos Goodfellas. Oh, you think Tom is done? I think, I think Tom and Shiv are dead next episode. I think that probably has to do with the baby, the baby pregnancy thing. And we'll see what happens there. And I think, um, Roman just died this episode. So Kendall's next. I think,
1: I think Tom makes it out.
0: Okay, I, I don't think, he, think so.
1: <laughs> I don't think he drowns. I think he he uh comes out of the wave. You know who could like make it out, out of episode. this
0: whole team of people in succession though, Greg the Egg. So let's talk about okay. it. Okay. He's so, kind of no longer in his shell, no longer in an egg. He is a slim reaper. Yeah. As what's his name called him? I forget. Oh as is Oscar? That what Matson?
1: Oh Oscar called him yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I love when we see Matson call Greg Gary, and we know he's kinda <laughs> like back to square one, how um, yeah. What did Logan call him in the first episode?
0: Oh my God, I'm forgetting. Greg, uh,
1: Craig. Craig.
0: Craig. Oh my God. <laughs> and, yeah, and Wow. shifts
1: like Greg. No, he's like I go by either. You <laughs> know. So he's back to square one, and it's so interesting what he does here uh, because he it, he tells Tom like I'm actually not on your side, which yeah. is interesting, right? That's a, a pivot from what we see Greg's strategy normally be. He is like I am going to connect myself with Tom. Tom has always um supported me and like he's who i sold my soul for who needs a soul anyways right
0: one again one of the most iconic moments of this succession yeah it was the the most romantic
1: moment honestly in succession ever
0: yes i mean that's true uh i actually wanted to start off the chess moves with greg with him firing hundreds of people on zoom yeah which you know by the examples during the worst of the pandemic seemed very real and still like as interest climbs in our country to combat like expected inflation more zoom firings are coming probably even people working at zoom are likely to get fired over zoom in our dystopian culture right now that is like our American market culture so I I mean seeing Greg as Slim Reaper just firing a bunch of people the mats and then Matson kind of liking Greg's evil was uncomfortable and maybe I should have put it in the cringy I moments. I could tell if he was
1: just playing with him
0: that was really weird wasn't it the writing for that yeah. like when when I think Greg says I am a good person it's just like what I had to do and and Matson is like is it and you're like is Matson messing with us here like are I we really thought it was
1: kind of messing with him um yeah he says like oh I just thought you were the backwash at the bottom of the gene pool but oh actually you're making moves but I didn't right. really think that he genuinely like had, even the Matson has like a twisted sense of respect, I don't think he actually had a respect for him. But in I, d- that moment. I do
0: think he sniffed out like this like Greg ignorance to his own evil that is probably attractive to someone like Mattson.
1: Or maybe it was more like I, like you saying you would fire Ebba for me. Like, I actually like this idea of having someone following my orders because look at Oscar and Ebba, who right. like are or basically we're like, talking
0: back to me and messing around yeah, yeah or could
1: have told shiv right that's the first people he thinks that told shiv about that's true. India, right he says who was it well
0: then greg's not a great guy to get because he knows, has a bunch <laughs> of data yeah. he's basically the cloud he's like a data farm and he's just going to tell everyone whatever yeah oh suits but his also
1: something uh because you thought that greg knew about the blood but i think it's confirmed that he did not know because okay. Uh, when Lucas says like we've mingled and so now you have tenure to Ebba he's like I'm not sure if you're joking that's what Greg says right. to Matson. so yeah I think it's confirmed that he doesn't know that secret
0: okay well I do think this was an important move for him to kind of get in on all different sides here and this is his first time where I think Gojo through Matson sort of sees Greg for the first time so it is kind of a pretty big chess move for him and my original prediction of Greg possibly running Waystar or ATN in our season one deep dive might my- actually become true and i was oh if
1: mattson's in charge and disappoints him yeah
0: and i was like funnily invested in that idea through the two or three seasons that we watched but greg in season four is so
1: yeah they were like
0: likable and kind of running in direct unison with nicholas braun's real life persona which i recommend people do a quick google on braun and what's going on in his life it's pretty awful but i can't believe that this development of greg turning into like this corporate soulless Monster is a coincidence, uh, but if it is, they're doing a good job writing it into the story like organically. Because when Greg tries to fire Ebba, and this all being at the kind of request of Kendall to try to get information out of Mattson, seeing Greg play all these sides like basically without any morals or any kind of like any connection to any of these characters was like really evil. So when they said Slim Reaper, like Grim Reaper, I was like, that is kind of who he reminds me of right now. There is something. There is always something a little bit uncomfortable about the way Kendall smiles when someone does something ruthless to him or mm-hmm. the way that Tom makes you uncomfortable when you think you're like putting him down. But then he also has a lot of leverage. Greg has this thing where it's like, how much do you know? Like how much information do you have? So I think there are still some chess moves to, to see. From well, Greg so here's the what I thought season. maybe
1: the like biggest chess move was from Greg. Uh, I think he's been gaining this like this confidence right to be like this terrible character this season. So I think I was like, Whoa, Greg's character really changed episode one, but it makes a lot of sense. Like you're saying, like he's firing people over zoom. He's like, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) okay, you are terminated. (laughs) And and he says like, nice before he hangs up the zoom meeting. Did you notice like before he presses end and um, just a, a quick thing before that too. I looked at the chat in the Zoom meeting, and everyone's like, "This cannot be legal. This is wrong. I'm going to uh, HR about this." Yeah. But my favorite part is when someone in the chat says, uh, "Can he even speak?" Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just like going on and on. It's um, <laughs> So great. But anyway, so he's doing these firings, so he's getting confidence, and he tells Tom, like, "Hey, I would actually be on your team with Matson, but Matson hates me, so my allegiance is with." Ken Rowe, he calls him, and I think <laughs> like if his allegiance were actually with Kendall Roy, then he would immediately go tell Kendall at the party, "Hey, Matson is coming, right? Yeah. He's on his way." But instead, what the the writing is and what what the camera really actually focuses on is Tom and Greg split ways. And then Greg is talking to people right behind Kendall. And you think like, oh, is Greg about to go tell Kendall that Matson's coming? Yeah. But instead, Roman and Kendall are having this conversation about how they're going to split up. And Roman's going to go hit Mencken team. And, and Kendall's going to go hit Jimenez team. Right. But then Greg is like looming in the background. He's just, just this like uh, silhouette. And, and the whole time I was like, missed opportunity. Why didn't you tell Kendall? And I think it's because he does want to align himself with Matson but maybe he doesn't want Tom to know so i think that theory actually could be interesting that Matson could put him in power not because Matson respects him or thinks that he is actually like is confident in his ability, but he follows orders. But exactly, yeah, right. Like he's a player. Sort of. He could be a player for Matson and work in his uh, favor.
0: Right. Speaking of Matson, he's next on my list because I think Kendall has the second best chess moves. And I don't want to announce my number one yet, but third on my list is Matson. So. Matson comes unannounced to the political sleepover at Tom and Shiv's, Mm -hmm. and he interrupts Kendall's minute of silence for his father. And that was some of the most real chess move shit I've seen in all of Succession, where him and his team fly from Norway to New York in a day. And speaking of people being tired like Tom, I'm sure they're jet lagged a little bit. So I can imagine that's why they're being a little bit on edge this episode, all three of them, because they didn't really act like this. When they Were they in Finland or Norway? Where were they? They
1: were in Norway for okay. the Gojo retreat, but I'm assuming then they went home right after. Okay. Um, but yeah, but anyway, But they didn't really act
0: like that as a much. Tri-
1: a long trip, like right. a long so flight, I'm assuming. There
0: was something kind of off about all of them, especially Mattson. Uh, so I'm not sure that actually worked coming at all to this party. Maybe Shiv's advice was wrong, probably was. And his other failed chess moves are, number one, the, the obvious gaslighting and psychological abuse- uh, that he's done to Ebba and his communications officer, who he has been manipulating, like so obviously that even Shiv is listening to the way he talks to her and is making these really uncomfortable faces. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that from Sarah Snow. Yeah, did it, a great it job. takes a
1: lot to make the Roy children uncomfortable.
0: Yes, and Matson silencing Ebba, making Shiv uncomfortable, leads Ebba to go outside for a cigarette, and that leads to Ken and Roman then getting the information about the blood and the double India data, so ultimately a bad look for Matson. though, again, I think it's clear Matson kind of controls everyone in this loft that has power at Waystar, except for maybe Kendall. And you can especially tell in two chess moments where you know Matson controls everyone except Kendall. One, in the closet room that you were talking about earlier with Shiv, where she basically tries to get an executive position with the company if she helps Matson at the party, but he's probably not going to help her. Yeah. And then two, the scene with Kendall where... He like Matson controls like the whole room as soon as he jumps off that couch. You can kind of see he's not afraid of anyone because he's kind of a psychopath. And I think there is something about Kendall where you realize that Matson might not be playing better than Kendall because the way that Kendall is looking at Matson is kind of like crazy, and he is a little bit psychologically intimidating to even someone like Matson. Just can smile. Oh, you're saying
1: Kendall is intimidating to Mattson? Yes. Okay. And I
0: think Mattson thinks he's controlling even Kendall, but there's a moment where when Mattson goes to kiss him, I think he knows that there's something about Kendall that is making him uncomfortable. And I I don't know if I'm just reading into it too much with all the context of all these seasons, Mm -hmm. but it's it's like that smile that Kendall had last episode with Carl when Carl was basically telling Kendall to eat shit. And Kendall does this thing where-
1: He gives him the pat. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that Pat where, you know, Kendall, every time he's confronted by powerful figures who have leverage over him, it's almost like his dad emotionally hardened him to the place where he almost wants people to show their cards and try to think they're taking advantage of him, even if it means he's being berated or embarrassed by other people.
1: Well, yeah, it's similar to when Logan kind of like looks at someone with a smile and then leaves the room or goes like, huh, you know, and, (laughs) and leaves the room like you just messed up that kind of vibe, but that's the Kendall smile is like that version that he took from his dad to be intimidating. Or mm-hmm. even if he doesn't have the final say to at least create the illusion that like, I have, I have that's so much it. power that I'm going to be silent in right. this moment. Right. And, and I think that you're right. Like Kendall is doing that with Matson here.
0: Yeah. That's kind of my point is that like, he just stole Matson's chess move And Kendall runs away with it from here.
1: Well, yeah. Well, also, Matson kind of makes it easy for him, right? Like, he obviously just does not know his audience and does exactly what what Shiv told him not to do. Mm -hmm. But I think before we move on to Ken, Matson also does these interesting things that, for us, the audience, are laying groundwork that he's actually bullshit. Like, I love when Shiv says... I don't think he's real. Right. Yes. And he tells Nate, he's a self-made guy who came up with a really cool product. And Nate's like, Hey, <laughs> no, hate, like I send you my nine 99 a, a month. month, right. For a gojo. But we learn <laughs> from Eva later on, on the balcony with Kendall and Roman that actually like he got the, the product and then sold it. And they created this image of him being a coder. Mm-hmm. So it's laying it also for us to understand, Oh, he's not real. He has inflated numbers. Um, from India right those subscriber numbers and then also him like calling the fail brothers and just being totally like not eloquent and Shiv just has to keep coming in and like swooping in because really Nate doesn't think that he's a serious guy he more so just likes the idea of firing Tom because Tom making him like just humiliating him and putting the which I think we're assuming (laughs) is that
0: probably the only reason Nate came which was to sort of like get his Thoughts in on Tom? I think
1: so. That was another actually tragic scene. I didn't mention it in my tragic moments, but I, I wrote it down in my notes when oh, Nate end. tells Kendall, yeah, like, you're hey, not your father. I'm not Gil and you're not Logan. And that's a and good like, thing. Yeah, exactly. It was r- really sad.
0: There were, they did such a good job performing that scene because they really haven't acted too much together in this yeah. whole show. But and we forget
1: they're friends from college. From college. Yeah, so there's a I lot always of con- emotional
0: context there that like we are not privy to. Like we have it's no like Stewie idea. Stewie too, right? It is like Stewie, yeah. And it is, it feels like a lot with a random person telling Kendall like it's it's best for both of us that we're not these people that we work for. But the thing with Nate is that it's Ken's transparent chess move that everybody can see. The more kind of like maybe you'll notice this on Second Watch, hidden move of this episode, is that Kendall is like Billionaire Batman Bruce Wayne, like watching all this crime happen in front of him throughout the episode, just being in <laughs> behind the scenes of all the characters yeah, making watching. these deals. He's, just he's watching Greg, he's watching Tom, he's watching, watching Shiv, Ebba, Roman, walk up the stairs. Ebba. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, so,
1: okay. This is my question then, and this connects to the chess move, but do you think Kendall knows that Shiv is playing on the other team?
0: Yes. I think he knows Roman doesn't believe in him and turned on him already. I think that is why Kendall
1: Well both the siblings know that both Shiv and Kendall know that Roman is like very wishy washy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And but I do think that he knows Shiv is working both sides of Matson just because of the camera movement in this episode. Like when Shiv and Matson come out of the closet the second time or come downstairs from being upstairs, Ken, they show Kendall in the corner watching them. And then he tells Greg to go talk to Matson.
1: Okay. I, yeah, I think that Kendall knows that Shiv is on Team Matson also. Mm-hmm. But I actually think we find out a little bit earlier than that. Like okay. uh, so And again, just for listeners too, like if you only watch this episode once, the first time I watched this episode, I had no clue if Kendall thought Shiv was actually playing both sides. And we could also
0: be wrong. Yeah, we could also
1: (laughs) be wrong. True. But the reason that I think that he knows is the biggest clue is when Mattson first arrives, Ken and Shiv and Roman have this like huddle on the balcony. And Mm -hmm. Ken says like, here's the strategy. Shiv, you stick with him all night and keep him away from the high value players Yeah, and just tell everyone he is like Looney Tunes behind his back. And they all agree. (laughs) They say break. They go out. Shiv tells us in her conversation, when she goes to talk to Lucas, who the big players are that Kendall was referencing. She says, first, we're going to go to Nate. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to go to Carly, who I think we're told is the podcaster and then we have to talk to Valerie, who we see earlier, like Shiv talking to Valerie, um, and Kendall clocks at where with when he's talking to Roman.
0: I like that podcasters have this much power yeah. in this universe.
1: <laughs> yeah, and but anyway, so uh, when when they make that deal, like, hey, this is the people you need to keep him away from immediately mm. shiv takes him to nate and ken is looking over we get a. a you're right
0: i do remember like, that yeah we
1: get a complete shot of kendall looking over at something we don't know what it is and it's cut straight to mats and nate and shiv having a conversation Good and call. like i don't like know about anyone else but i know my siblings body language right like yes. i know what they're doing and shiv is like very transparent when she's selling something yeah um and you can just tell like they're they're cozy, right? Like she yeah. she is like letting them talk. Matson and Nate are super close. Nate's like looking around. He he seems like he's scheming. Like Kendall knows these people. He went to college with Nate. So I think that's the first kind of clue that he has. Like, oh, I know my sister is Auntie Matson.
0: You're right. And I think that is All this stress with Roman falling apart and Shiv now trying to play both sides because Kendall might have been right about Pinky not being able to dance. Like, I do think that conversation with Frank at the end is the biggest indication that Ken knows about Shiv. I think that is kind of the last example and the final example that you need to like, Ken knows something's up at the very least. So when he tells Frank... Let's go reverse Viking. Yeah, pillage their village. Eat
1: Matson's lunch.
0: Exactly. That is a very real move that I think will probably work in the short term of the season. Mm-hmm. And by the finale, I'm assuming that move will come back and destroy Kendall somehow. Obviously, there are like people who have blackmail on Kendall, yeah. and they'll probably use that eventually. His siblings, yeah, yeah.
1: So I guess I'll go ahead and give my prediction uh, here. Because I think that okay. Kendall in the same vein of all the siblings having their fall, um, that that's, was kind of our prediction from episode one. Like they were this right. tight knitted group that thought they were making big moves by buying Pierce and like Overpaying. offering too much money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we were like, they're all going to have their fall. Right. In mm-hmm. in this like satirical story of, of powerful people. Mm-hmm. I think we already saw Shiv, like you said. I think we already saw Roman, but I think that Kendall's fall might be that he becomes his dad. Like I could see a world that's interesting. where he is in Logan's office and he's looking out like at the city mm-hmm. and he technically wins, but that's more like true to real life, where Kendall takes over his dad's position, mm-hmm. right? Like we see all these other powerful families even yeah, in like the, the news right now. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I and I think that would technically still be like a fall of Kendall because yeah, you know he's in this really now dark pit.
0: Yeah, it's really poetic. That's how they end it. It makes sense. I, I'm going somewhere a little bit more dramatic. I'm not okay. going to step on it yet. I'm going to talk about it a little bit later. Okay. Um. Last thing I want to say about Kendall is just how genius this show is going to be for a lot of people on rewatch because I'm sure a lot of people haven't rewatched all the seasons like what we have as you know podcast hosts. Mm -hmm. But when you rewatch the show altogether and watch Kendall's arc closely, the whole show starts off in season one with Ken trying to turn Waystar around as the new CEO by acquiring basically a mini Gojo on the cheap for like $150 million or something called Valter. And if listeners remember, Valter also had like a double India situation. Like they lied about their data being better and cleaner than it was. Yeah. And so I think it kind of makes a weird through line of Kendall's delusional character of trying to kind of buy up these tech companies thinking that they're somehow going to save the media company. Even though I think that also doesn't necessarily mean that Logan was any smarter. I think Logan was just copying Kendall's plan and repackaging it with something a little bit bigger, which is this Gojo company. Yeah. But I just wanted to note that because that is why I think Kendall is one of the most likable of all the characters because his business decisions have been copied by people like Logan and copied by his siblings. So you kind of sympathize with Ken wanting to throw his siblings under the bus or wanting to take a shotgun to his dad's house because they were all going to send him to jail Yeah, and they were trying <laughs> yeah. to ruin his family that was already kind of ruined and also trying to make him a drug addict because he's going he's going through his sobriety and going up and down there. Which, by the way... So I do want him to get his payback. But by the way, Kendall had a cigarette.
1: Okay, so I was going to talk about this actually as his major chess move in the episode uh, before we left Kendall. Because you're right, like the more transparent move was him pitching Nate in the hallway. Hey, can you go uh, with regulation against Matson mm-hmm. when you win? Again, we have this like this breadcrumb of uh, people thinking that Jimenez will win. Right. And then we'll give you all a sweet story in the first hundred days on ATN. Also, by the way, it works in my favor because right now my family is being attacked, even though, uh, you know, Kendall doesn't yeah. really take responsibility for the hate speech that's happening on ATN. But the biggest chess move here actually is him bumming like a smoke from Ebba. Yeah. Because Roman is way too forward in how he asks. He's like, "Uh, so yeah, what are the details on India? Like and she sarcastically details. is like, yeah, yeah I'm going to tell you all the details. Yeah, I'm just going to show you my hand like Roman totally doesn't address her as someone who has like leverage or as a player
0: or doesn't and, even address her as a human whereas yeah. like Kendall knows had to have these conversations in yeah. dark rooms and
1: obviously Kendall like is totally being manipulative here he's
0: doing what Shiv did on the playground to the survivor of the cruise line yeah like, it's very similar
1: yeah but But him, like, taking a a cigarette from Ebba, Mm -hmm. we can assume, like, the conversation went more like, hey, here's what we can offer you. Right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I'm sure that's going to come back. And I also just want to note about the cigarette that it isn't great for sober Kendall probably to have a cigarette. I, I don't know if you remember, but in season one, the night before... Kendall tries to get the votes to overthrow his father as CEO. Mm -hmm. He's standing in the dark outside of his house, smoking a cigarette. And that's when he was sober. And then he went straight into like this massive drug fall and went back to being an addict. And so we could see something like that here. We might be, you know, a little bit misled. So it could go more your route where he does become Logan. And it is this kind of poetic, sad, Shakespearean ending, where he kind of lost even though he's on top because he doesn't have a relationship with his kids and he doesn't have a relationship with his family who all hate him. And, you know, just like how Logan has a brother who hates him, maybe that's like his relationship to Shiv oh, wow, yeah. and Roman now who despise him. Yeah. Um, that's possible. But it's also possible that he could lose to Madsen somehow and then, you know, then fall relapse. to drugs again and relapse. Oh, yeah.
1: God, that would be so dark.
0: I have a darker prediction, which I'm going to get to later. Okay. The last chess move, and then we're going to get to our power rankings, is it's got to go Jerry. Like, we've said all there is to be said about Jerry. You know, if there are redeemable characters from this show, which there really aren't, you know, there yeah, are... Yeah,
1: Jerry's still involved in, like, covering up Cruises. The Cruises, which is yeah, awful. Yeah, yeah, doing I mean, everything that Logan's bidding, yeah.
0: There are fan pages of all of these characters. But all of that aside, all of these people are morally corrupt in this Waystar, you know, Royco company. But on a spectrum, characters like Jerry, Willa probably like Rava who's really on the outside among some others are probably the most innocent and seeing all of them in this episode kind of as like the most stable people was really satisfying. And especially, you know, specifically Jerry potentially getting hundreds of millions of dollars Um, though I'm not sure, again, anyone will get what they want at the end of the show, is still a pretty big moment. And it's undoubtedly the greatest chess move of this episode, maybe of this season so far. And it feels especially good because of people, what we've been saying, like romanticizing the toxic relationship between Jerry and Roman. So, you know, if next episode starts with Roman apologizing to Jerry and there's another weird power dynamic scene, I'll be pretty disappointed. I'm not going to be completely surprised But I do think that, like, this is probably the checkmate of episode seven, what Jerry does to Roman here. Yeah,
1: I can't see this being the last scene ever for Jerry's character because she's so important to the show. But again, like you said, it it could be. And, And it would be like a satisfying end because I think then if we didn't see her again, we would maybe assume that she did get the millions. Yeah. And before we get to power rankings... I also just want to give a shout out chess move to Ebba. Uh, like I said, I think they're trying to draw a lot of comparisons between Jerry and Ebba's situation here that like we see Logan as this like, like older evil, like dying out culture of Mm -hmm. harassment, Mm -hmm. but really like it's still present in different, uh, like similarly toxic ways in these new, like. Uh, hot tech companies with Matson and Gojo.
0: Yes, for sure. And I think there are even some, like, really impressive microaggression in the workplace writing from the writers here about what women are forced to deal with in these patriarchal institutions still. Like, they do a great job of that with Jerry and Ebba.
1: Yeah. Okay, so Let's get to our power rankings. Number one, Boy and Boar on the floor. Let's start with number one.
0: Well, just a reminder to listeners from last week. Oh, our yeah, yeah. list currently stands at number five, Boar on the floor. Still playing the game, but not great. Tom, number four, Shiv. Number three, Jerry. Number two, Matson, And number one, Kendall. And last week was the first episode where we were like, Kendall deserves to be at number one. Because yeah. he drew his name in the sand. But also, it did seem like everything with Living Plus was going to work in the short term and the stock did go mm-hmm. to the moon. Even though what's funny about that whole episode, just like every episode of Succession, only the first episode of the season and the finale really matter. And everything in between is just kind of noise yeah. in some context, maybe. <laughs> because it's Living Trust Plus in him. the stock yeah. and Matson <laughs> being priced out didn't happen or as far as we know. Like they didn't even mm-hmm. really talk about it in this episode. They did mention that the price was going down a little bit. So Matson asked Shiv, like, what do the boys have... You know, for us next. Exactly. It didn't really mean anything. So, our power ranking could change this week. I'm really curious to hear what you have. At number one, I think is where we should start instead of number five.
1: I agree. Well, so interestingly about number one, we said that last week was, I think, the last time we'd see Kendall on top. We were like, he wrote it in the sand. He's in water. That's like kind of you know, looming and we've seen that him in water a lot and it has not, not been good, right? Yeah. Whether he's in a bathtub with no water, he's in a pool. Are he's you going to keep him at number one? He's at number one. Okay. Me, me too. Sweet. Yes. <laughs> because it's one head, one crown, Yeah, love the siblings, but not in love with them. Yeah, And also he kind of like shows Matson up and this really ridiculous uh, showdown in front of everyone. And, uh, and even though he's not being super savvy, he's still like being silly. Uh, he's I guess not
0: ruining any relationships and he didn't lose anything really. And so I think he has to be at number one. Cause he just learns a bunch of information. He basically plays Greg in this episode. That's he, true. He learns yeah, a he's lot. He's just
1: watching. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's at your number one too.
0: Of course. All number right. one. Number Kendall. one boy,
1: two weeks in a row.
0: M- this will be the last. Week. There, there is no way. I can't see it. Yeah. Uh, number two, but,
1: but then again, my prediction could come real and he's like number one, but it's,
0: if he does finish really the season sad. as number one boy, yeah. it would be really sad. Yeah. Number two, Matson.
1: I have Matson also.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think he's going to stay there for a while. Yeah.
1: Well also because the people below me, I don't know if they're going to help Matson. Like I don't know where their allegiance lies. Like, are they going to help Kendall or are they going to help Matson? Yeah, Like, I mean, obviously help is a weird word because is Matson or Kendall going to use one of these people?
0: This is where this becomes really hard, this list, because we had Jerry at number three and I decided to keep Jerry at number three because I think the reason we had her at number three last week and she came out of nowhere because she wasn't in our ranking before that was because we figured she was going to try to use her leverage against Roman and we were right. And so I think we have to keep her at number three.
1: Okay, I have Jerry at number four.
0: Oh, who do you have at number three? Because
1: I feel like she is going to come back in, in some way, whether she's helping Matson or helping Kendall like, carve okay. out Roman. Um, so I have Jerry at number four, but I have... Actually, people are going to be shocked by this. The outrage. Uh, I have Shiv at number three. Shiv. So Shiv, like uh, you're right, emotionally died here. But I... Her
0: business chess moves were still good. She
1: still, right now, she's in a place where, like Tom said, she is not going to be in trouble. Like, really, like she's not going to go down because she has this information about Matson. It seems that Matson thinks that he has Shiv under his thumb. Right. Like uh, she's like, oh, I'll just build another India, and he's like, yeah, good, and walks away. Yeah. Exactly. So it feels like she still has the understanding that Matson. Um, thinks she's on his side. Mm-hmm. But I think that Shiv could talk to Kendall and say like, Hey, I want to be on your side. And Kendall would just again, like use her to get the crown.
0: Okay. I don't I just think love she's it. a player. Yeah. I don't love it. I still think based on last week's record, we should probably keep Jerry at number three because I feel like our, what we said about Jerry last week was that if she does use her leverage, then she can find a way to talk the shareholders into letting roman and kendall go as co-ceos that's true and then finding she a way into the Madsen. top because she wants to be number one boy she was interim ceo and wanted to keep that position every time logan was like well jerry could do it but could you jerry imagine really if there's it.
1: someone scarier than Matson in a room it's jerry honestly like jerry could really tell Matson if like, she had power what yeah. to do yeah uh if she, yeah exactly like it's just that they're roy children okay so, i'm cool with jerry at three
0: so let's go jerry at three if but, we
1: never see her again we'll but, be so wrong
0: shiv at four which, just so you know, that's what we had last week. So we're literally oh. just we're just copying it here. Um, and who did we
1: have at five last week? So
0: five last week, we had Tom. And so okay, I actually had Greg at four and Shiv at five so on my personal list. So I think we should put Greg at number five and keep Tom out. And that's because I do think Greg did a lot this episode that is going to gain him super Swedish bucks. Like they're, <laughs> they're, like he's going to have a lot of credit, I think, with Matt saying, because... Him and his, you know, his, uh, his entourage think that Greg is evil. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is going to help okay. in this case.
1: Yeah. So I. And Greg
0: does want to run shit. Like that is like a part of his arc.
1: Yeah. So I had, um, Mankin at number five, but I don't wow. know if that. Ah, that's
0: cheating. That, <laughs> I don't know if that
1: contributes to the number one boy race because ultimately it's like who wants power. I just think Mankin's well, going this to is win. Also, so this is wait for Waystar. This is
0: Waystar. Okay, we can't confuse the listeners. This is, this is not number one boy yeah. of the. I guess it is of the world, so I he guess is, that's he's kind be of number fine. One
1: boy. Okay, but but I get it. Like, I would
0: take this argument if it was next week when we actually are introduced to Jared Menken again. But we've not seen think him this Mankin's season.
1: gonna win. I think that's like the thing that we're being uh, kind of tricked on okay. this episode. Even like actually towards the end of this episode, when uh, I was going to say Logan. Oh, whoa. when Kendall and uh-huh. Matson were having their kind of uh conversation we see behind kendall that actually more people have guessed the split for mattson okay on that board. so
0: i'm cool putting making number five as long as then we redefine our power ranking to be number one boy of the world
1: okay Is we'll go with greg means? as number five okay greg
0: <laughs> i mean i'm fine making that distinction but we'll, okay greg well, number five no
1: i mean it's basically for waystar so it's tough yeah. like um, so I'm fine with Greg at five. I also was thinking about Tom though, in my ranking, I didn't so put him down. In my
0: notes, I put, but I was like, "Is, is he I gonna put switch five, sides? A, five A. I said, don't F with Tom Wamsgans." That's what I wrote in my yeah. notes. That's yeah. He, I really do not, think it's not over he, for him. I definitely think Shiv is dead and I don't know if I love having her in the list, but something is scary about Tom. And so I think that some of the men in this, in this show are really evil. And Kendall's one of them. Matson's obviously one of them. Greg is showing his cards, but Tom, there's just something about him that does make me uncomfortable. Ever since that diner with him and Kendall, yeah. I, there's something about him. So I would He's say don't through. count him out. I agree, yeah. even though I do think him and Shiv are basically dead.
1: I think they could come back from it. I don't know. I think they could still get back together, even though... They are their relationship is dead, even if they decide to get back together for power reasons. OK, but, so
0: we just traded a disgusting uh, brother for a disgusting brother. That's, that's how our list changed. Yeah. So number one, we have Kendall. Number two, Matson. Number three, Jerry. Number four, Shiv. And number five, Greg, which is I think his first time in a few weeks on the list. So
1: OK, so let's go to extra credits and our predictions.
0: So I was weak on extra credits this episode. I just said the food scenes were great like the working class foods of America being having this like spotlight and the burgers and the fries getting bedazzled with truffle flakes is pretty hilarious (laughs) and one of the co-writers from the menu will Tracy wrote this episode and you can really tell that from the shots of food so I just thought the food scenes were really awesome and like symbolically like what they meant for the show. yeah it
1: felt like they were memeing America right like this idea of sliders like you're talking about with the American flag toothpicks pigs in a blanket french fries The only people affected by this
0: election are like the working class. Exactly. Yeah, like this is
1: a game for everyone who's at that party. So love that. My extra credit is the subversion of this episode. Okay. One for the election, right? We're getting all these kind of. Subtle cues uh, through conversations with the characters that it's likely that Mencken's going to lose. is up in the, is up in the polling. Yeah, again, it's kind of this like reference, I think, uh, from the writing team to the Trump Clinton election. Yeah, and I actually think we are going to have Mencken win. Yes. And so I love, I just love that. And I love the writing. Connor
0: heads out there. Just yeah. Distraught right <laughs> now. Heads, yeah. Can't believe you just said that. So that's
1: number one. Number two. I love that when we talked about this in our chess moves, but the idea that we think Roman and Shiv are actually on top at the beginning of this episode mm-hmm. uh, and we see them fall. And then Kendall, we think like. Is he gonna just keep riding on this living plus? Like he he can't, right? That's yeah. what we're thinking. And then he also kind of fails with his conversation conversation with Nate. But ultimately, like Ken ends up on top. And so I just love the subversion for both of those things, uh, both the election and the characters and the siblings this episode.
0: Yeah, it's really well done. That's why I'm saying like at the top, this might be one of the better episodes writing wise of Succession. And I do think we're going to revisit it and be like, wow, we really didn't know how great this episode was and what it was telling us about the end of the season, which all these characters are basically metaphorically dying.
1: Yeah. So should we get to the predictions?
0: Yeah, I've said a lot of them about the individual, you know, siblings, how I'll, I think they're all going to fall and meet like a good fellows ending. But I do want to talk about the funeral for a second. I'm hoping the funeral happens in the opening of episode 10 for Logan. And I do think that if you're going to kill Kendall, like literally kill Kendall, which I've been talking about how I think they should have done. You mean like three, he actually dies? Like he actually dies. Okay. Probably of suicide. I still think that should have happened last season in the pool with Logan having to watch his number one boy die at his hands. I think that would have been more dramatically satisfying, even if it isn't true to life, which I do think that is true to life. But if Kendall should die or could die soon, I think the most politically and emotionally affecting ending would be if Kendall and Logan shared a funeral. That's just like super. Oh my super, god!
1: That's so dark. That will not So dark.
0: <laughs> I just think that would really like. I would. It's, it would be such an interesting image. These men who are building empires on top of their insecurities, lying to themselves about why they're building these empires. Whether it be like a Zuckerberg, Bezos, Musk, even smaller people like a Portnoy with Barstool. I think it would be actually not to try to predict or outright the writers who are the best writers I've ever seen in television. But I do think it would actually be really culturally impactful to show how Logan and Kendall both wanted to control their own past, rewrite their own narratives because of how embarrassed they are of their past, and then using media as this mechanism to manipulate everyone's past and present so they don't have to deal with their own issues. That would be an incredibly impressive ending to the show. So. I
1: you don't actually think that's what's going to happen, though, right? That's way too heavy-handed.
0: I don't think honestly. I feel like we could see something kind of crazy. If I think what you said makes the most sense, Kendall being that's number one boy,
1: like my prediction. For, just I think it's a great. I, like I think it's a great prediction
0: groundwork. from what we're seeing right now. It makes a lot of sense. I think it's kind of poetic, just like seeing Kendall by himself, looking out a window, and just being completely disconnected from the real world. But I think with Kendall and Logan dying in that image of just seeing them at their funeral with all these people who don't even like them and they never even liked and they're both just like completely delusional figures both thinking they're trying to control narratives across the world helping the lives of their kids
1: six continents I'm breaking my back yeah Yeah, they're just
0: yeah them like Kendall using language like he's Logan to Rava I think was a signal that we could see something like that happen again toward the end of the season and they're just both paranoid deranged people and their delusions have ruined people's lives. So I think it would be kind of fitting to have both characters basically buried together to really put a period on the effects of serious generational trauma as a theme that passes down for Logan. It was scars on his back and like an inability to love. And for Kendall, it was trying to live up to those emotional and physical scars. So both of them like dying would actually make a lot of sense to me in a, in a very similar poetic way of Kendall being that number one boy and looking out the window and still controlling the company but I do think Jesse Armstrong will probably make something else that is neither of these endings. That's possible, too. I
1: just think there's no no way that what your prediction is saying is going to happen.
0: I, after listening to Armstrong after season three, we've talked about this once on the show. I do think he it's I get the feeling there is some regret of doing this faux Kendall death scene in the pool. Do you agree? I mean, no, from, yeah, from listening to him, he, there, it seemed he like he was like a little bit annoyed. Just,
1: yeah, killed him, but I think he he didn't know how long the c- series was going to go on. Yeah, I just think it would be kind of cheesy to see their like pictures next to each other. I, just, I yeah, I don't think it's going to happen.
0: Regardless, I think you know Kendall will probably fall with him just being this fully delusional replicant version of Logan and yeah,
1: thematically I think that's where he's headed regardless of his like actual fate of being in charge of Waystar or right. relapsing yeah
0: and I guess the only other big one would be Shiv in the pregnancy but I think we've already kind of made it clear it's like potentially abortion potentially miscarriage I don't think she's going to tell Tom or anybody <gasps>
1: I don't know I could see it happening I could see it as like a maybe like a final dagger or or like maybe they are back together but even more so have this like rotten core at the bottom of their relationship. Uh, my only other predictions, cause I think we've like said basically all of them throughout our awards is I think we're going to see Marsha again, yeah. right? We see Connor saying we're, we're agreeing to all of Marsha's wishes. This is going to be like a three day <laughs> funeral, which sounds like yeah. something, you know, the, the kids cannot handle being vulnerable, but for yeah. three days uh, and then also Stewie, I want my living plus joke from Stewie. <laughs> uh, and, and that's my other prediction.
0: Okay, that was the extra credits of Succession Season 4, Episode 7, Tailgate Party. We'll be back later this week or weekend with our mailbag episode. Thank you to all of our listeners who emailed or DM'd us with their questions. We got so many, and they were so great. I think that'll be a really fun episode. There's also going to be some major show updates in there, so make sure to tune in. As for other programming updates, as some probably noticed, we didn't cover Guardians of the Galaxy, even though we did a rewatch of the trilogy and watched Infinity War again. And endgame. So we really prepped the <laughs> listeners and ourselves for that podcast. And we didn't cover Guardians 3 because we liked it, but we didn't love it. And the reaction was borderline toxic online and didn't seem to have a lot of nuance in the criticism of the movie. So we're gonna wait to talk about the film because we do love the Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy movies. And we're going to eventually do a first part of 2023 best of list later this summer of the movies that we've seen this year Mm -hmm. and guardians will be on that list but just like ant-man quantum mania the marvel films have been like difficult to talk about in a nuanced way because people are so polarized about them so we're just waiting off until we do that
1: yeah we're just gonna do all the marvels together
0: yeah yep also except uh,
1: for (laughs) spider-man that (laughs) one we will be doing
0: actual episodes on we're really excited for that these next few weeks if you've checked letterboxd you probably saw that Also, our How to Blow Up a Pipeline interview with director Daniel Goldhaber got paused for the time being because of the writer's strike. And I'm assuming our show won't have many interviews for a bit because of studios exploiting writers Mm -hmm. and people striking for understandable reasons. And we said this last episode, but we're hoping the WGA's demands are met and they are equitably paid and their style of work is restructured to suit the needs of the writers. I'm going to put some links to breakdowns of what's going on with the strike in the description of this episode so you can all see what the union is asking for. Raiders of the Lost podcast did a great breakdown of what's going on with the writer's strike. I'll put their podcast in our description. So for the next few weeks, we'll have our mailbag, Succession, and as Kelsey noted, and if anybody following Letterboxd has seen, we're doing a Spider-Man rewatch of all nine films. We're going to have a big Spider Man episode in a few weeks before the second Spider Verse film comes out in June. We're getting
1: through the Tobey Maguire ones now, yeah.
0: Yeah, we're about to get onto Andrew Garfield next. We're really excited. Uh, and that's going to be a ton of fun because we love Spider Man.
1: Yeah. And if you don't follow us on Letterboxd, uh, just go follow us just do watch it a, can, well, yeah <laughs> i thought
0: that's what you were gonna say just just do it all right can you follow us on letterboxd
1: yeah that's what i was gonna say except i was going to add just you can follow along with what we're watching mm-hmm. um especially with the rankings that we're doing and it's actually so much fun to revisit basically like the filmography of a director yeah or all the spider-mans like all right the now lore. we're, we're yeah. also
0: watching wes anderson's films because mm-hmm. we have a special pod for that next month and then we got Christopher Nolan and we got so Greta Gerwig much, yeah. we're still, we've been a doing lot. a lot
1: of succession but the movies are coming everyone Thank we're God. pumped I mean, yeah, we're like mainly a movie podcast so. alright
0: we did it Kelsey we nuked the Luke smashed that Swede this has been a fun episode thanks everybody for listening this has been Trey
1: and this is Kelsey peace bye you can go home now go cry <laughs> in your bed <laughs>